Welcome to Across the Line. It is another Football Friday, and today we've got Nate Berkey on the show. Former Filipino Ascals, played for Kaya, played for Pachanga, played for Ceres and Davao. Extensive playing career here in the Philippines. And on this episode, we really get a chance to get to know Nate Berkey before the Philippines, along with some excerpts of his time here in the country. But a fascinating story, Chris, that probably nobody has ever heard of yet. He's been a teammate of mine with Kaya, teammate with me for the national team, and yet so much of that conversation I had no idea about. So really nice to hear his um, tales of growing up in, in the US, uh, the, the, the difficulties he experienced going on trial in, in Europe, um, you know, some of the missed opportunities that he that he had, and, and then subsequently how he randomly ended up here in the Philippines and, and forging a career here. And lots of ups and downs within his career uh, here in the domestic game, but uh, Ultimately, he, he's still here living a life, um, working in the academy and, and with my brother and trying to forge um, you know, a new path with, with, within the youth football space. So it, it's a really great story. I think something for everyone, whether it's a young kid who's aspiring, um, you know, a parent looking at how best to develop their kid. I think there's so much information out there uh, in this episode that, that a lot of people will resonate with. So it's been a really fun conversation even players who are already in and around the professional game who are probably finding it difficult man you could pick something up from this episode that is for sure and of course we had him here because of his open letter right he'd come out with a passionate uh narrative uh, a, a long form um post that he put on on facebook and uh, it resonated with a lot of people and he touched on a lot of uh, important um points that um, perhaps need to be discussed and we get an opportunity to do that here as well. So uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Nate Berkey. If you do, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Look for us on social media over Facebook, um, Twitter, and on Instagram. Feel free to tell us your comments and suggestions there and what you thought of this episode with Nate Berkey. And that is it. Without further ado, we've got the man himself, Nate Berkey, on the show here on Across the Line. We've got Nate Berkey on the show today, and he is uh, a man that is on everybody's minds as of the moment because he's come out with an open letter to Philippine football, and he's got everybody thinking and, and uh, considering about how they feel about Philippine football as of the moment. And we've gotten through the letter, and it's, it, it's been a fantastic read and an opportunity to reconnect with a lot of individuals who have come out of the woodwork and had their say about uh, how they feel about Philippine football as of the moment. Nate, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me, both of you guys. Um, I appreciate it. And I just want to say, first off, that I am a fan of your guys' show big time. And what you guys are doing is massive for Philippine football. And um, uh, I'm, I'm proud and happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Hey, man, we appreciate that. Chris, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, I'm really glad that we've got Nate on the show. He's been, uh, he's been a guy we've been trying to pin down for, for a while, which haven't really kind of got round to it. Um, and then this week, he, he announced himself um, in a big way with his uh, open letter. So we thought, what, what better time to get him on and, and, and have him sort of explain his, his uh, I don't say short story, really long story. Um, it's quite long. And maybe, it's quite long yeah, it's, it's, a long, it's a long read, mate. He did a few chapters in there. <laughs> but I think it was a good time, a really good time to get him on, talk about not just that, but his just general um, thoughts on the game. I know he's got a lot of um, really positive insights, having worked 
behind the scenes as a coach, but also as a player with a national team and, and been involved with football here on a domestic scene for, for such a long time. So, yeah, great time to speak to him, really, and wanted to, to pick his brain on a number of different issues. Um, so really excited for this one, Jing. Should be a good one. Just to give everybody a bit of a background on Nate, right? Uh, for those that are just getting into Philippine football, recently you will have caught Nate in uh, 2017 uh, playing for Davao Aguilas. Um, mm -hmm. Were you still there in 2018, um, Nate? Um, no. Um, 2017 then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think my, my contract might have been to that point, but due to my injury, we, um, we came to an agreement. And uh, right. I was still like going to games and supporting them, you know, yeah, but yeah. obviously I can't like train and play. So, right. So, I, I think 2018, I was no, no longer really part of the. Unfortunately, you, you had gone down with um, uh, um, an injury that was very difficult to overcome. Um, and um, you had arrived at 2011 and you really announced yourself on a, uh, on a stage here in Philippine football, um, getting involved yeah. with Kaya. You had gotten involved with the national team as well. Had a good run with Kaya and then went on to Pachanga de Liman where you also made waves. And then yeah. uh, that, that, that sort of got the attention of Serios Negros. You played there. And then eventually you moved over to Davao Aguilas. And now here we are. It's there gone are. in a blink of, a blink of an eye, man. Nine years yeah. down the road and here we are. Uh, you're currently coaching with uh, Chris's brother's uh, academy at, at G8. And um, mm -hmm. it seems like there's a, there's a lot of passion. There's a lot of things that you've been thinking about with regards to Philippine football. What, yeah. what was the reason behind coming out with this letter, man? Um, well, I think first and foremost, what really got me back into Philippine football was my son. You know, I, I brought him to the Kaya Academy. I know Chris has uh, I have full faith in Chris and what they're doing over there. And he was the youngest kid. And I really just wanted to put him in the environment. So that was the first step of me getting back into Philippine football. And then, um, you know, honestly, it, it was your, your guys' episode a couple of weeks ago when you were so fired up. It really resonated with me. Um, so, you know, I, and then my memory of the Sri Lanka goal came up. And I was like, you know, now's a good time to kind of reflect on things. And it's what better time now we're in, in quarantine. And then after the memory, I was like, there's just so much more I want to say. And I never thank the teams. Um, so that's why I kind of wrote that open letter to Philippine football. Um, I can remember, Gene, we were in Belair like two years ago surfing, remember? Yeah. And um, it was kind of like a, uh, I was out of Philippine football. It's kind of like a dark moment for me. But we were talking. We were having that conversation. And you were like, what are you up to? What have you been doing? And I was just like, honestly, I'm just being a full-time father. I really kind of lost right now and you were like well you know you gotta show your face at some point you know and i, it, I always look back and like he's right you know so now's the time and i, I feel confident and comfortable to talk about a little bit about my story but mo more importantly talk about philippine football and what you know what i'd like to see for the future and how we can make things better you know yeah the, there were a lot of things that were mentioned in that chris um and if you had an opportunity to go through it yourself or well, what are the parts that 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 Stood out to you, Chris? All the parts that you mentioned me were obviously massive. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think maybe at some point we'll, we'll get on to my... Mm -hmm. I think Nate's sort of... Nate's path into Philippine football, like it's, I'm sort of entangled in that in some way, shape or form. 100%, sort of Chris. At different, different points. And we'll probably come on to that a little bit later, Nate, because yeah, yeah. maybe that, that, that's, that's one way we can kind of go through your backstory a little bit. But keeping on the theme of the letter... Um, okay. 
I think one, one thing that resonated with me is, is, is not necessarily the, the points that he made, because I think that they're quite valid, but the fact that he is passionate about youth football, uh, passionate about the development of the sport in this country, that's the most important thing. That's the overarching theme. And I think there are a bunch of people amongst our, our generation who feel that way. Um, and I guess we're all trying to find inroads into how we can help and how we can influence the right. current Philippine football landscape. And I think one of the things that is, is become um, more prominent, especially in the last couple of years, you're seeing obviously a lot of ex-players getting involved with either setting up academies, working within academies, uh, working within schools, and they're really trying to do their bit for for the football uh, landscape here in the country. But there is also a sense of um, uh, dissidence, disenfranchisement from the establishment. And just, I guess, in a nice way, I, I don't think it's an aggressive format, Jing. I don't think we're sort of outside the, the PFF office picketing, but it's more like, you know, these kids deserve better. They deserve better than, than what we got. You know, we've made yeah. a lot of great strides, and it's more like, you know, let's, let's all be accountable for this. We're going to do our right. part. Uh, right. But we also need, we need help. We need people to step up to the plate and, and, and do their bit to facilitate that growth. And if they're not, that's no problem either, right? That, right. I, I totally get that. For, if they don't want to help, I don't want to get involved, no problem. But then leave us to do the best that we can um, with the projects that we're trying to get off the ground. And, and just maybe try to facilitate those. You don't even have to do too much. You can just sit back and, 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 and try to facilitate some of the things that we're doing. Um, and I think that that was one of the things that resonated with me. It wasn't necessarily individual points. I think we've all got our own opinions and they're, and they're all valid. And I'm sure Nate will expand on that when he gets his opportunity to speak about it. But it's more just what's great is, is having that passion and that fervor and that enthusiasm to want to get involved with, with, uh, with the sport and, and hopefully continue on this upward trajectory one that we've seen with the youth with the national team sorry uh, at, at the very mm -hmm. pinnacle but not so much perhaps on the lower on the lower levels which is why we want to get down into the trenches a little bit more i think yeah. and, and and help out at that level nate is that is that fair 100 percent, because that's actually one of my my goals in the future you know to maybe try and handle one of these youth national teams boys or girls and i think that would be something i would uh really like to do you know, I, I got the opportunity when I was with um, the Chelsea Football Academy. I, I was with the Young Husband Brothers. I was the TD over there. And I got to, they had an event at the Blue Pitch. And, you know, I had this great opportunity to coach the U12 boys for just one session. But, you know, it, it, it was just inspiring. And, like, I just really enjoyed that. You know, the kids reacted well. And um, it was just overall a really good experience. One thing that's quite interesting to me that came out in that letter, as you said, Chris, not nothing specific that we can we can get into maybe a little bit later on. But for me, the overarching theme was that there was this kind of vibe when a lot of the uh, foreign-born Filipinos started coming back to the Philippines, right? Um, th that there was this notion from some of the locals um, that um, some of the foreign-born guys are coming here for an easy payday, right? They're coming here and and they're they're trying to get involved, not that the Askels are popular, and they're trying to get a piece of that, right? And there was a little bit of a negativity that was placed upon uh, foreign-born Filipinos for that reason. But 
now we're seeing after almost a decade here that you guys are still here, right? Everybody is still here. And they some of us, to, not everyone, not everyone, some of us. True. A lot of you guys is what I'm saying. Yeah, a lot of us are here. here yeah. And you guys are wanting to get involved and wanting to, get, yeah. to, to do your part, right? Which right. is more than you can say for a lot of the players that have come out and, and, yeah. and hung up their boots, right? So, so clearly you guys have um, a platform, right? You have more right. eyes on you for, for right. whatever reasons uh, in the past. And, and now you guys are getting an opportunity to speak your mind. And now here it is. Right. Um, yeah. and, and as you said, you know, you've had a couple years to reflect exactly on yeah. how you feel about Philippine football. So tell right. us a little bit about that, you know, for those that didn't get a chance to read your letter or, you know, okay. how do you feel about Philippine football at this point in time? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's kind of in the letter, but, um, if they, if no one has read it, obviously I think there is a, a, a positive youth movement with all of the, you know, coaching and, and players getting involved and academies being set up. And, and that's, that's positive, but obviously uh, if we don't have a sustainable run league, where are these kids going to play, you know? Um, it, and, it, and, it, and in my opinion, the, P, the league has taken steps backwards, you know? Um, it progressed kind of in my years, like maybe a little bit of plateau, but as soon as we try this new concept and try to abide by AFC rules and go into a national league, things kind of went south. I mean, Jing, if the PBA cannot run a national league, what, how can we run a national league, you know? Even if we have funding or, or whatnot, it's just, it's a logistic nightmare. And you saw how many teams folded quickly, you know? And it, it's sad, but I like to be, I'm an optimistic person always. and. You know, we just kind of got to reassess and, you know, the in, like, my whole thing with Philippines is like the intentions, the intentions are normally always good. It's the execution, you know? Hmm. And yeah, that was the first year, 2017 was basically the only year really where everybody was forced to travel to every destination. Yes. Uh, Bacola, Davao, Cebu. Uh, Iloilo. Ilo Ilo came in 2018, but then again in 2018, how many teams could travel to Ilo Ilo at that time? Not everybody yeah. did. So yeah. um, by 2018, it was already like everybody was trying to avoid traveling from city to city right. because right. flying, hotels, it's expensive, man. <laughs> and if there's no money coming in, then all the money's going out. It can't last very long, right? So um, that's sort of the situation that we found ourselves in. Last year, everything was back to being centralized here in Manila. Um, there was maybe which, one or two matches in Iloilo, yeah. but yeah, but yeah, centralized maybe just a little bit more feasible, right? I, I, I believe so. I mean, it makes sense. And the reason why I keep reverting to the PBA is because they've been doing something right, you know. Yes, they have all these major sponsors, but they're still doing something right. And they still play games in the provinces, which is something I think should have been into consideration. You know, we could have easily focused the league in Manila and just held, you know, exhibition, not, not, not even exhibition, but we could have like real games taking place in these locations, but where it's like um, better organized and, you know, it would have made a lot more sense, you know, but here we are and uh, we're just trying to move forward and like I said, trying to make things better. You know, one of the, one of the things that I think with that, Nate, is I, I don't have a crystal ball. Like, I don't, 
Right. I'm not a prophet or anything like that. I'm not Nostradamus. But I remember having a meeting with some people who were quite close to the whole, um, uh, the, the task force or the organizational committee that was put together before they actually started going out and, and, and picking up where uh, these teams were going to get set up. And I remember speaking to one of these guys. I won't mention his name, but we all know who he, who he okay. is. Uh, okay. I, said, I, said, I said, it's going to fail. I said, there's absolutely no way on earth that clubs have got the organization to be able to facilitate all of these things just from a logistical mm-hmm. standpoint. Like the amount of time and effort it takes, obviously, to, to book the flights, to book the hotels, the transport to and from games. Um, you know, and then that tempered with all of the compliance that everyone was having to do. It, for me, it was just, it was so difficult for these clubs and they weren't ready for it. They just weren't ready for it. And I said, this is going to be the death of, of, of the league as we know it. Because as you said, I, I felt when we first came in, I mean, you came in, you, you actually based here before me, but that sort of 2013, 12, 13, 14 period, that was really when it was at its height um, right. in terms right. of quality, in terms of um, uh, excitement, entertainment mm-hmm. on television, obviously. And it's a shame we yeah. couldn't build on that platform because I think we were always striving to get this AFC um, Right, uh, you know, ma- mandate that we had that we had to fulfil, but we, we, the clubs just weren't ready for it, or, or certain clubs, no. majority of clubs, uh, weren't yeah. ready for it. And I think what you yeah. said was was spot on. Like I, I think the intentions were good, the idea was good, but the execution was poor. And I think you only have to look at things like, you know, look, look how the NFL have done it. You know, they go and do these games, even NBA do it. They go to London, they do a they do a basketball game, they do an NFL game, and those games yeah. are sold out they are packed right. to the rafters they're always televised um mm-hmm. and that's obviously a great way to attract the market one of the things that we've noticed here in the philippines is the fact that um things blow up quickly right i mean you were there at la galaxy game nate you can you, yeah. you were playing me that game and that i mean the the the, the fervor and excitement around that game was just unbelievable mm-hmm. but you couldn't give away a ticket these days for a national team game you couldn't give away a ticket Right. So something must have happened over that window. But if, if you were to pitch a Kaya against Serra's game in the province, one off game, for sure, you're going to get that sold out for sure. If you know that's the one game you're going to go and play and you spend a bit of time down there generating fans, building relationships, yeah. like the NFL does, they, they, know they do a great job. They go into the communities, they do their little bits and pieces with the, yeah. uh, with the media, you know, they build up that excitement and then all of a sudden right. that generates that interest around the club, uh, around the club, around the event, around the league or whatever that, that might be. But there yeah. just isn't that, and there, there isn't that because no one's at the moment, I don't feel, <laughs> willing to go down and actually put in the hard graft to cultivate right. these relationships and cultivate and fertilize that ground so the league can grow. Does that make sense? Right. So totally. uh, I, think that, I, think that's that, I think you're spot on with that. I think there's a lot of good intentions, and I, I don't want to knock anyone, but, but in terms of actually thinking through the stages and the steps that are needed in order to, for it to grow, it's not simply as a case of just rocking up to Cebu mm-hmm. or rocking up to uh, you know, Davao and just thinking that loads of fans are going to come up on a regular basis. It, it, it's, yeah. it's just not going to work. And I, I totally yeah, and, agree with and, what you're saying there. And the thing is, Chris, it, it, didn't, it doesn't like, have to just be Kaya Serres. We, we could have made like four or five games down there, like have all the teams go there. You know what I mean? That, imagine that. Mm-hmm. All the teams go on that venue for that week or something like that. And then they just, it's kind of like a, an event. But those Four games, games are meaningful. Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Two games a day. And it's like, there's a, there'll be a huge buzz, you know, and it's, it's a lot more economical uh, uh, 
feasible, you know? So, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but these are these are all great ideas, all obviously. And um, yeah, let's just hope we can move forward in the right direction and um, get things back on track, I would say. The strange well, well, thing someone, is, sorry, that was supposed to be the plan for PPL, right? The, 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 the league that never got off the ground. That was their plan, was to play centrally and then to host uh -huh. festival-type events that would run for uh, a weekend or two over in one spot where all the teams would go. And you would have musical acts, you'll have celebrations outside of it and play the games there. Which was I a fantastic. What, idea. I wonder what happened then. I wonder what happened then. If but, that was the initial, if that's the initial idea, yeah. What happened? The league got blown up. So two of the teams were forced to drop out because their licenses were revoked, and then two weeks later, their licenses magically were approved. Yeah, yeah, but see, how how, how do they go? How how do they go from doing exactly what you just said to traveling every single game? You know, it's right. it's like night and day. It's night and day. Well, the PPL came in in 2000, when was it, 19, that they were supposed to be there and then never yeah. got an opportunity to really see their vision come through. So unfortunately for them, we never got to see if that was going to work out or not. But it's, right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a notion that's out there that it's obviously, mm -hmm. I mean, it's an idea that makes sense, right? It makes sense. <laughs> totally, totally, it, it, totally. it makes sense to be put out there. Especially here in the Philippines because the traveling is not something to look over here in the Philippines. Right, right. Everyone you got to hop thinks, on a plane. Oh, Philipp Here's my map. Everything's like, oh, it's so, it's not. The Philippines is huge. It's huge. To get from, let's say, Davao all the way to Ilocos, I'm like, come on. It's like the longest travel. Yeah. And to expect teams to do that on a weekly basis just was not feasible at all. Right, right. Sorry to cut you off there, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I forgot what I was going to say. No, you, you, I think you, you touched on some of the points that I wanted to, to raise, but... I was just wondering, like with the, you know, with the with the the league, mm -hmm. what other things did you think contributed to that sort of downward spiral? Because as we've alluded to, that first two years were just certainly when you and I were were together playing in in the in the PFL, so UFL, yeah. you know, things seemed to be on the right track, and you could see that there mm -hmm. was definitely something bubbling um, with right. regards to league. What what were some of the other things that you thought? perhaps contributed yeah. to that negative obviously the um the ruling of, of the of, of cap of the foreign players okay this obviously had a big result uh, of a lot of teams not being able to commit you know every a lot of people said maybe they did it too soon but you know i, I don't i'm not against it i'm just thinking it could have been done differently to where i don't know what, what was the because uh, when you came chris what was the rule there was no rules, right? No, no rule. And then immediately from no rule, they go to the three plus one? Or no, it was five foreigners first. Yeah, something like that. I think it was like, I think it might have been five plus one, no? And then before... No, I, think it was, I think it was four foreigners. No, no. Four. And then with that four foreigners, you could have eight in the roster. You could have 25 in the okay. roster. It didn't really matter. Just but you could have four in yeah. the game day at any one time. On right. the pitch at any one time. So that's right. I remember games where I would sub like <clears throat> George Boutron for Louis Clark, for example, because you could sub right. a foreigner for foreigner, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the foreign rule could have been uh, maybe done a little better to, to help. Because, I mean, we already had so many uh, quality players in the country. So to not 
to like deny them or, or make their reason to play, uh, it, it was more difficult for them. You know? And we do want to focus on the Filipinos, but we don't want to do it in a way to where we're, you know, deteriorating the league or the quality of play. Yeah. I think, like, again, what you said there, Jing, like, it was talking earlier about the good intentions. I think the idea behind it was all right. The right. idea is that you're going to now promote Filipino players. They're going to have to be pushed and they're going to be put in the spotlight and they're going to be playing at a level, so their level is going to increase. When in actuality, what happened was those kids weren't able to be pushed into that spotlight, you know, like collegiate kids, for example, because yeah, there, wasn't yeah. the financial, there wasn't the financial benefits of them going, uh, deferring a year at college and coming into the professional game. So that, that really didn't happen. So then we were left with a lot of clubs paying, playing mediocre players in a league that the previous year was a pretty good standard. Um, yeah. And then you had, you know, foreign individuals sit in the bench while they would see, you know, local guys perform who just weren't up to the standard. The second thing with that also was you then completely isolated a lot of the teams that had really strong bonds with certain communities. So, for example, Pasogad, you know, had a lot right. of the Iranian boys and, and, and they had a really strong identity with the, the, the Iranian community. Uh, Nomads obviously had a really strong um, expat community and, and they'd been participating on on that front for a number of different years you know that they, they were one of the founding members of the league so for Sakuru, them to be Sakuru. Sakuru yeah, big following big following and if you look at it they had obviously they were really good at rec- I mean, we talked about them last week uh, the, mm. the korean guys oh. that they had and uh, uh they've had a number of really good foreign foreign signings that they had and then what you what you what you found um, uh, manila all japan with the goes without saying go. so yeah. you know we, we've got all of these clubs where they were immediately uh, ostracized mm-hmm. from a ruling. And if you remember, the, the ruling was made extremely late. It wasn't even like the season ended, right, we'll give you yeah. six months. It was about three or four weeks before the season was about to start. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is, this is going to absolutely cripple a bunch of clubs. And I've got no problem, again, with adhering to certain set of standards. Right. But those standards would not have needed to be met by a Nomads or a Pasagad right. because these teams weren't necessarily looking to maybe progress and to perform at the AFC, AFC level. Cup. Right. So, and even if those clubs were looking to play at that level, then no problem. Have your eight foreigners and just make sure that you adhere to the four plus one on the game day. No problem. Yeah. You know, Tha- yeah. Thailand has that. Thailand has that in their, in their domestic leagues, right? So mm-hmm. they have a different rule for the domestic leagues versus what they have to play in, in the Champions League. So there's no need to, 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 to have isolated and ostracized so many um, no, not, really not a growing league. Not a growing league. A growing, not a growing and developing league, league Nate. No, totally nah, you can't agree. do that. You can't do that. I yeah. think that was a really watershed moment, guys. I think that was a real totally. watershed moment in, in a league. And while yeah. it provided a few benefits for some of the local players in terms of obviously up in their value and therefore being able to perhaps yeah. monetize, mm-hmm. um, you know, capitalize monetarily on that on that particular front, it actually had a huge negative impact on the league, certainly in the quality. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I agree, it was one of the things that, that, that led to the, to the downward spiral of, of, of the domestic game here. So now we've had an opportunity to kind of see all of that play out, right? So we've got the benefit of seeing and experiencing all of that transpire. And now we have an opportunity sort of, especially now that we're in, in quarantine, to really reassess and reflect, as, as Nate alluded to earlier. Uh, but I'm kind of interested in, um, before we, we, we tackle sort of how we foresee the next few months or the next few years. I'm, I'm kind of interested in, in going back a little bit to your origin, Nate. You know, um, we're talking a lot about the glory days, so to speak, 
of the UFL. And that's when you arrived. You were bang smack in the middle of that. 2011, things were on fire for the world of football. And in, in the open letter that you posted, you, you, you added some photos as well. Rafters are packed, man. It looks great. The atmosphere is fantastic, you know. And I also had an opportunity to see your highlights. Fans in the stands watching this stuff and mm -hmm. everything was on TV. How did you know mm -hmm. about Philippine football? Obviously, the Ascals had blown up in 2010, but you moved over. Did you know that there was a domestic game um, going on? Um, what was the whole no. process of you knowing about coming over here to the Philippines? Um, so where do I begin? I guess, I, do I start in the beginning? Go for it, man. <laughs> or, or right when I moved here, because I've initially, Chris, uh, Chris knows this, initially heard about the Philippine national team back in 2004 from my junior college coach, uh, oh, wow. Lewis, uh, David, David Sexton, who, whose family is a big, uh, is a big name in England. And so he told me, he, he pulled me aside freshman year. He's like, Nate, your mom's Filipino, right? And I, I said, yes. He said, well, there's a, there's a player by the name of Chris Greatwich, who's an English Filipino and he's playing for the national team. And I had no idea. I was shocked. Jim. I, I was like, it, it, that, that's when the, the dreams planted, 2004, you know? And so coming up to fast forwarding to like 2011, right before I, uh, right before I, I came, I got uh, in touch with the national team, my mom did, and they invited me for the May 11 trial. So my situation is just like, I gotta get there, but I gotta find a way to stay, you know? I, it, it can't just be the national team. Like maybe there's other opportunities to play. Mm. So it was actually with a, with a close friend of mine by the name of Koi B. Fan, and we were just researching, and the UFL was in its infancy at that point, because it, yeah. it started before I got there. So yeah. we, we just kind of looked online, and uh, we saw what was advertised at the moment, you know? And it looked great. There was, like, night games. It was packed. I, I didn't know much, but... I immediately contacted the league and then Armand happened to be the only one to reply. And so him and I were in touch on my way to Philippines. So yeah, I just kind of wanted like that assurance to, to, to stay here, you know, and, and play here, whichever way possible it would be. It was really just like a leap of faith kind of thing. You know, my mom booked, it was, it was one way flight, the ticket my mom booked. I love her. I love her to that. She, she's amazing. And she's really the reason why I was here. But, you know, she took her mileage, booked it one way, and she was so stoked. Like, I remember I was home, okay, because I had just gotten back from a Bulgaria trial that didn't really work out. And, you know, she knows that we've been trying to get in touch with the national team. She comes into the room grinning ear to ear, like, you know, they, we got in touch. They're going to invite you. You can go to the open trial for the World Cup qualifiers. And I was like, I was like happy, but I was a little hesitant because I was like, damn, I just got back. You know, I got to tell my, both of my jobs I'm leaving, but I knew I'm not coming back, you know? So, yeah, we, when I arrived, I had an experience with Kaya uh, or with Armand, who was kind of like the Kaya manager at that moment. And, you know, he was happy with what he saw at the Mini World Cup. And then, uh, yeah, we had the, we had the Ask Us trial. Looking back, though, Jing, I, I feel like a little naive. You know, when I signed that first contract, because I, at the moment I was, I would have signed peanuts and it's exactly what I did. But uh, I wish I had, you know, looking back, it's like, maybe you, you wait, maybe I wait to sign a Kaya contract until this national team run. So my stock value goes higher and I can negotiate better. But that's just part of the business and uh, the experience side of professional football that I obviously had none uh, 
at that point. But I'm so thankful that, you know, you know, I was able to sign that contract and, uh, you know, have those early years with Kaya. You know, it was a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. Wow. Man, talk about gambling on yourself there. Huh? Like, Sorry, uh, man. <laughs> that's incredible. Like, you just went. You just went. You know what I mean? There was yeah. no groundwork laid down for you. Yeah. You taking quite a chance. And this is an open trial. This is not like the team knows me. They see videos and they're like, we, got, we want that guy. It was still a lot of risk. You know, there's yeah. many, many risks. Two jobs uh, that I had to, had to leave. Um, all my family, all my friends. But I don't regret it, you know, at all. Like I said, that dream had been planted since 2004 once he told me about Chris Greatwich and the Philippine national team. And then 2007, when the Hanoi came, that's when I was like, all right, I got to get over there ASAP because, you know, had I been involved earlier, maybe I'm involved in, in that team. But if not, you know, things worked out for the best, you know, things worked it's out for the best. It's incredible. Christopher Greatwich, again, your fingerprints on, <laughs> on another uh, inbound talent into the Philippines. Chris, yeah, did, so, you ever, did you know Dave Sexton or he just kind of knew you? So, so, yeah, infamous. Very, just, yeah, big time notorious on the east coast so a lot of people knew knew about me but the the real story here jing is that dave so dave's dad is like a really famous um, yes yes football coach in in the uk and um i think he even coached at my old club right and went before before i was there um okay. don't quote me on that but dave dave yeah dave well well well-known football figure and then his son um, was coaching at obviously at the the your uh, community college Lewisburg right Lewisburg junior college um, there's a difference junior, there's a difference junior college friend. junior college <laughs> junior college basically it's still an academic institution for people who don't, can't get into yeah. a four year program one hundred percent so yeah so these are for the bad boys right the bad boys or yeah. in the case of how I came up, how I know Dave is through uh, a friend of mine Phil Flannery who uh, went there for two years. Uh, oh, ironically, great. he went there for two years with uh, Adam Riki. So that's uh, Adam Riki also went to that school, believe it or not. I agree. Um, so um, Re Adam Riki went to, I forget where he went to. I think he went to Niagara. I think he went to another New York school. And uh, Flan went to Hartwick, which is where I ended up going. So um, that's the connection there, really. So a, a guy okay. who was probably two or three years out of outside of your time at Lewisburg, he, yeah. he then played with me in, uh, in America. So that's kind of how Dave found out because I was teammates with one of his former players. Nice. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of the, the inner workings of, 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 of that one. Um, I think he actually messaged me. I think Nate messaged me at one point was like maybe on Facebook or something. It was like, Oh, I'd like yeah. to get involved. Then the usual stuff, you know, like I always forward on it. People's information always forward on like, send a message to the to, you know, federation or whatever. And then I don't know if it was a, you know, if it was your mum pressing or if that, that email just got straight, straight to the junk file or whatever. But you know, it, it was definitely something that I tried to put forward to the PFF for, for, for a long time before you managed yeah. to get your actual, um, yeah, for fully fledged debut. But uh, like you said, it all kind of worked out in the end and it's, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a, that's a great way to piece that story all together. <laughs> yeah, man. I remember because we first met at the Galaxy game. You remember that? That's the first time we officially met, Chris. And um, yeah, what year yeah, was that? That was, yeah. that was two thousand. I think it was twelve, Chris. Before you came officially, 
I think you came 11. to that game. 11. 11, you're right, you're right, 2011. December yeah, yeah. 2011, so that would have been, yeah, because it was, I basically missed that whole year yeah. for, uh, for various reasons and then just came yeah. back for that game. That was my first game right. of 2011. So that was the first time I was back post Suzuki Cup 2010. Right. And then there was a, right. then there was a bunch of hangers-on, Jing, you know, a bunch of Johnny-come-latelys, you know, wanted, wanted a sniff of the action. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. It was, I mean, that, that was quite a good group, though. It was, it was a start of a, a new... Of a new era, of a new dawn of, of um, you know, foreign-based Filipinos coming over. Um, it was a really good time. It was a really good atmosphere. What, what can you remember of that? Because with, with that, am I right in saying that would have been one of your first, second international camps? Yeah. Yeah, well, well first was obviously um, when I arrived in um, 2011. And then... Um, the Challenge Cup, well, that, right? No, no, the, the World Cup qualifiers were my first. Okay. Like, yeah. So I came in May 2011. We had, yeah. like, tryouts. We went to Iloilo. We went to, I met your brother for the first time in Cebu. Then from there, they made the lineup, and we went to Germany right before the game. So um, I, I obviously got my first cap at the, at the World Cup qualifier against Sri Lanka, which was just, the Germany camp itself was, was, was a lot of fun but even those months in the philippines where it's like everything's being thrown at me when i arrived um was quite a whirlwind man like i can just remember traveling so many places even before we went to Iloilo, we had like just like a promotional thing in leyte which was beautiful because my mom is from leyte so we went down there boss dance from tacloban we did like um a little promotional thing they had a youth tournament and um actually one of the local newspaper uh, uh magazines did a little write-up on me and you know it was it was really nice because like i said my mom is from Leite. I, I have i've been there for all my previous trips and um it felt really nice to to be recognized for you know for a little bit for my achievements even though i haven't really done anything but you know i guess just the connection was really was the main thing you know so, you, so. so you'd, you'd come around and visit the philippines yeah, I had been in the Philippines three times prior to 2011. 94, 98, 2007. Then I finally migrated 2011. So college, I graduate. My mom, we take a family. It was in this trip, 2011, where, or 2007, where I said to myself, you know, I just had a phenomenal trip. We went all over. I was like, at some point in my life, I, I'm going to move there and, and, and spend my life there. You know, I didn't think it would be this long or work out the way it did, but it, I remember I was just like, I want to, I want to be there, you know, I want, I want to live there. And then, faith had it, 2011, doors opened, and just kind of you, you just take advantage of those moments, you know, you have to. So you're born in D.C., grow up where in Virginia, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Born in D.C., Alexander, Virginia. My father was was an American, basically from Virginia, and my mother migrated to the U.S. in 1970. They get together in 1980. Um, I'm born in 1985. 1987, unfortunately, my father passes away. Okay, so before my mom and dad got together, he had cancer. He was in he was in remission, and the doctor even told him like, "You only got a few months." <laughs> like they, he had five years after mm -hmm. after he told that. So it was really five. Those last five years, my brother was five when he passed. I was two and a half, and yeah, my mom, being the incredible strong woman that she is. She's, and she's so smart, Jane. She, 
she works for the World Bank, okay? So she, she's, uh, she's been there her whole life. She put us into football. Um, I, that, that's a story she'll have to say, but yeah, she put us into football at a young age, really young. And I was just following my brother. My brother's older than me, obviously. And Chris, I want to touch point on the story because you're really going to appreciate this with our first trainer. It's a pet peeve of yours. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, I want to touch point on my foundation and, and trainer because he really is the, is the sole reason for my foundation and technique. A guy by the name of Pedro Caballero. He's a Peruvian. Okay, anyone in Alexander City at this moment in generation trained under him at least once. Okay, so his philosophy is really ball mastery. You know, before you can you know do anything, and this is old school, old school. So I remember when he first looked at my brother, they had this pass mat. It would like go up a hill, it would be go up a ramp, and then come back. So he would. I remember because he was like coaching my brother. My brother's still in like streetwear gear and. And uh, my brother was playing already, but never had official training. So he's just working on the passing technique, locking the ankle, hitting the ball properly. And we ended up buying one of these things. And it's just a great passing thing. But another thing where he's juggling. Now, I know a lot of coaches aren't big on juggling because it's, they have their reasons. But for me, it had such a huge influence on my life. And I see how big it is in developing. Obviously, you don't, there's a point where juggling, you know, you can... It doesn't really make sense anymore. But at a youth level, it has so many benefits, balance, coordination, creativity to a certain extent. So after the juggling, he literally would give us a counter. So we would have a counter and we'd have to do 500 touches, not in a row, but 500 touches before we moved on to the next thing, which was Corver. Okay. Now Corver in the 80s and 90s is much different than what it is now. They had sets. Okay. So it'd be like one to 10 and they go over all of the classic Corver moves like the Stanley Matthews or the Revelino, which is a pullback, or the scissors or the Maradona. It was one to 10, okay? And he literally breaks down all of your fundamental techniques on how you're touching the ball, where, where's your foot? It should be like this. It's really like, really, he's really critiquing you, okay? We spent hours and hours with this guy, years and years early on. So, you know, you do like one to 10 with the right, one to ten with the left and you do it ten times so it's really like the first two hours or hour you're really just you and the ball and after that you know he sets up his flags and we just play you know we do one-on-one two v two so this guy really is the foundation for for my technique and my brother who at the time was a beast man let imagine nate berkey older left-footed faster stronger that's my brother growing up okay so chris touched on your point what happens obviously he excels we go to play at uh you know, we're, we're, he's in his league. I'm in my first, like, house league team. He's in his Alexander team. Springfield Youth Club comes and plays us. What happens, Chris? He balls out. They start to recruit him. They're, like, big time. They wanted him so bad. And I remember because I was just on the phone with my mom. We had an hour and a half conversation. I'm like, Mom, why did you take us out of Alexander? You know, John was so happy there. He didn't want to go. And she was like, you know, you're right. He didn't want to go. Um, but the coaches really convinced my mom to go. And obviously I have no say in it, but my brother will tell you to this day that he didn't want to go. We go kind of works out for me, but at that moment in life, John, my brother stopped enjoying football. You know, the other team had two coaches, one from Trinidad and Tobago, one from Vietnam. Okay. And both of those coaches had sons on that team. So talk about a conflict of interest. Okay. So within like, I guess the first year, those two coaches split. So moving to Springfield, then those two coaches split, which my brother really enjoyed. Trinidad, uh, Ian Bain was his name, Trinidad national team player. 
really enjoyed his coaching. This, it's in this moment where, where my brother kind of loses his joy and his passion. You know, he's a lot different than me. He's an introvert, so I'm an extrovert. For me, it was just meeting new friends, playing. But my, I want to touch point is because I know it's a big issue in youth football all over the world, especially here in the Philippines. And um, I just want to address the parents, say, listen, uh, first and foremost, give credit when credit is due, okay? And if, if your coach develops your child, you have to trust the process, you know? Mm -hmm. Don't be in such a rush. It's, it, enjoy the journey, like enjoy the process and give credit when credit is due. And most importantly, listen to the children. If he child doesn't want to go, I understand there might be logistical reasons or economical reasons to move. I can understand that. But at the end of the day, if the child is happy and doesn't want to leave, let him be, regardless of the level or, you know, whatever, you know. So my mom, I, she's like, don't feel bad for your brother. That's just the way it was. But this is the truth, you know. It really affected him. And I know it can affect a lot of children, a lot. And being with, with G8, you know, there was an issue when I first arrived, and I know Chris has had his, I know how Chris feels about this, why I bring it up, Chris, and I know he's had several experiences as well. Um, so I guess my point is, like, listen to the children, most importantly, and give credit when the coaches really take the time to develop a child, because it is not easy. You know, from a raw talent to a developed talent, is not easy to put in those hours, you know? Yeah. Quite interesting, right? I mean, uh, it's... We all get into to football not because we want to win all the time. Or, yeah, I mean, it's part of the game. Fun. It's part of the fun. But, yeah. I mean, it's actually playing. That's the fun part. And the joy. Know? The joy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, going off from Springfield, like, I get involved with the ODP program. Chris probably knows a little bit about it. But, Jing, the ODP program at that time, is called, it stands for the Olympic Development Program. This is the number one avenue to get to the national team. Okay, you got your district tryouts. Then you got your state tryouts, which is all 50 states. Then you got your regional tryouts. There'll be four regions in the U.S. So I started doing that. Um, I, I ended up getting to like the regional regional team at one point, and I get my first international experience, which happened to be in France and Italy. And guess who's with me in this in this in this team? Mr. Freddie Adu from the U.S. national team. Oh, so really? this is like this is like Freddie Adu's first. Uh, exposure and he was claiming to be like i think 10 or 11 you know we might have been 13 or 14 at that time you could tell he was younger than us but not as young as he said he was but aside the age the guy was skilled like the talent was incredible but i think what we saw early on in this in this tournament and it kind of affected his play is his mentality i mean the guy was already uh kind of disrespectful to the players to some of our players kind of cocky and this wasn't a humble guy, and that's not going to get you far in football. And you know, maybe if things, maybe if he had a different mindset, maybe he has a more successful career. But that's that. We ended up winning the tournament, and you know, it was a good, good exposure, good experience. That ODP coach ends up being my college coach at Virginia Commonwealth University, which is where I transferred after Louisville. So, yeah, I guess after ODP, we do a little bit of high school. I went to T.C. Williams High School, which is where the Remember the Titans film. Uh, I don't know if you guys watched that. With yeah, Washington. yeah. So, there's, so there's, already a lot, there's already a lot of history on that school. It was a, it was a fun experience, um, really fun experience. And, um, yeah, we, my, my last club team was the same club team that OJ played for, which is Team America. Um, team America Vasco was a complete international team. Like, 
every player is from a different country. And uh, we have some good tournaments. We end up going to the Dallas Cup. I'm sure Chris has heard of Dallas Cup um, first year. Dallas Cup is the biggest tournament in North America, June. Mm. Teams come from all over the country. They have a super group, which is under 17. Like that year I was there, there was the Newcastle U17 national team, Monterrey from Mexico. Uh, it's just really a, a great experience, you know? So, yeah. Um, trying to think, did I miss anything? Oh, one of my club coaches, Chris, which is, which is what the point that you had that post on where, like, does your coach need to be a player? This was my first coach who was a player. You know, his name was Irad Young. We were with the uh, Braddock Road Nighthawks. And this is the first time the coach is, like, playing out, showing to the team his playing CV, you know? And he had some substantial playing. His father was with the Israel national team, I believe. And uh, it really resonated with me, Chris. That's why I commented on your, on, your, on your post because, you know, he would jump in trainings and just kind of show you what's up. You know, like, you have a different respect for a coach that can jump in and train with you. And you see, oh, like he does know what the hell he's talking about. He has experience. Um, everything that he's saying, we're gonna listen to. And he really kind of, he really. I remember we, I had a, we had a tournament in Pennsylvania, and he kind of just looked at me. I had a great like game, and he looked at me after the game. He's like, Nate, what are you doing? You know, you should be a national team player. And that always stuck with me. That always stuck with me when he said that. But you know, high school was high school. You know, I was enjoying the years, and um, I didn't really have the best grades. And uh, my SAT score was even worse. Um, so that kind of brought me to Lewisburg. I, I can remember um, I can remember senior year really not knowing what I was going to do. You know, I had a lot of club, I had a lot of colleges recruiting me, but I was just so damn embarrassed by my grades. I, I did basically didn't qualify for NCAA, uh, which is what you need to do. You need to meet a certain requirement, your SAT score and GPA needs to be a certain level. So I didn't qualify for that. And, uh, can I, can I jump option. in here, Nate? Can I, can yeah, I jump yeah, go in ahead. here, Nate? Before, right, because I think this is, I'm a massive, massive advocate for the whole collegiate setup right. in America. I think it, it a, accommodates a really broad spectrum of individuals and gives them an opportunity to get uh, a really good um, foundation and foothold in life that they probably mm -hmm. wouldn't if they were just a regular student. So it could be football, right. it could be lacrosse, whatever the activity is or sport or pursuit that they have, it enables them to perhaps um, go beyond what their academic profile would normally get them based on a skill set in a specific area that enables them to open doors to a better academic institution, right? Yeah. And, and that for me is great. Like, I love that. I love that. It, I think it's amazing. But where it does fall short, and I, this is why I want to explore a little bit with your own personal journey, Nate, yeah, yeah. is, okay. is it, it also does discriminate a little bit with those individuals who probably have a, a higher level of talent, but for whatever reason, have not yeah. met the academic requirements. And I know a lot of people, and I hate to say it, we've come across the topic of race on this show, and I know you're a fervent um, supporter of, of various movements within this context. But right. there is a definitely a, 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 a social economic uh, disparity, uh, specifically yeah. amongst where I was based in New Jersey with, within the Hispanic community, for example. So mm -hmm. a lot of these kids were extremely talented individuals, but because of whatever their yeah. home life was like, whether they're in a bad friendship group, they weren't able to perhaps play at the level that they should have done because they were unable to get the academic standards that was required to get into you know, a regular 
standard four-year institution. So what I want to know with your situation, Nate, is what, what okay. were some of the contributing factors behind you, um, you know, not making grades, not getting um, the, 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 the right SAT scores? Because, you know, yeah. you come across as quite a smart individual, Nate. Um, so now, there, there yeah, must, now there I, must have been something here, Nate, that I want to explore <laughs> and expand upon and, and dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, no, no, no problem. Listen, I got no problem talking about any, any of my past or history, but um, I definitely wasn't focused, you know. And um, I definitely wasn't focused on my studies. I was just really enjoying, uh, you know, in my high school, we had a lot of liberty. It's a public high school. You know? we, actually had a, we actually had an off-campus lunch. So we could leave the school, do whatever the hell we wanted, come back and go to school. So just keep in mind all those kinds of possibilities. Kids can do whatever the hell they want. So I, I SAT, I just... I, I must have took that test so many damn times, Chris. And I, I'll say I didn't break a thousand. You know, I I have a uh, definitely want to have a say like a, an attention attention uh, issue. Maybe I didn't have ADD or ADHD. I never got diagnosed, but focusing on tests or reading comprehension was really one of my difficulties. So reading, you know, reading was really one of my one of my difficulties growing up as a youth. You know, I can remember like even being in like the advanced class at one point in elementary, and then it kind of brought me down. Yeah. So going into high school, yeah, I was, I was partying a lot, having a lot of fun, uh, like not really thinking about the future. So that's one thing I want to push to the kids is like really- What does what fun look like? You, you can say fun. I mean, I mean, for, for me, maybe playing, playing chess might be fun. So what do you mean by fun? I, I want to delve deep, Nate. Don't, <laughs> don't leave any stones unturned here. I, come on. Yeah, I need stone, you, to be honest. you talk about stones. You talk about stones. I was a big stoner in high school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, big time, man. And like I said, um, we had that off-campus lunch. So I was, I was doing a lot. Was um, not prioritizing, not prioritizing my health. I, only thing I really regret is just focusing more on my schools. Focus more on my studies. You can have that fun. You can go out. You can, you can do what you want. But it's, at the end of the day, if you're getting good grades, it's really all that matters, you know. So that kind of brought to a, a life-changing moment for me, Chris, because that senior year of high school. I came back from Brazil. We had a, a, a training in Brazil. Me and three friends of mine went to Brazil. Great, great experience. We trained with Atletico Paranense. Three of my Vasco teammates went. Um, I get back from high school. I get back from that trip, and uh, my brother, you know, he, he's, he's going through some serious personal issues at this moment. I'm talking about some life-changing moments for the whole family. It affected everyone, okay? So I can remember my mom driving me down to school by herself. And, you know, she, she gave me to drop me off. She prays over me. She's like, Nate, she makes me give her some promises. And um, I, I focus at that moment, I, I start to focus and I, I get my first 3.0, which was, I was ecstatic about. I loved, I started enjoying going to class. You know, I was more focused on, on the studies and then also just getting better with the football. So, Graduating high school was really a turning point for me, Chris. That's when I kind of started to. That's my son. He just walked out. <laughs> I go, uh, yeah, that 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 was a real turning point for me, Chris. You know, um, those those college years was really just focusing on on football and school. I got great grades, not great grades, but I got the best grades that I ever got in my life in college. I enjoyed going to class. You know, I I, I soaked in uh, what was happening. 
and at, at Lewisburg College, Chris, it's it's a small community school, as you say. The the highlights are the are the sports programs. So, you know, they got a, a really good baseball team, really good basketball team, really good football team, soccer. Um, we first freshman year we make it to the national tournament. Uh, it was a great great experience, and that's where you want to be in a junior college setup because that's where all the Division One schools are. Mm -hmm. So if you don't make it to the national tournament, it's kind of like you know, what, what, what are you doing? You know, you, you go to junior college to get to that national tournament at the end of the year. We finished fourth. It was, it was, a, it was a good experience. And then uh, sophomore year, Coach Sexton gets a lot of recruiting from guys from my former high school from the area. And we come back with a really strong team, really, really strong team. And unfortunately, we get to the regional finals and uh, we, don't, um, we don't make it, you know. So the only thing that really come out of that year was I made All-American. I had a really good uh, few games in the beginning of that year, scored some nice goals, and uh, I was selected for All-American, which took place at the end of the year, okay? And uh, you I don't know if you've ever been to any of those conventions, Chris? I've not. My uh, brother's been uh, quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know, yeah. yeah. So, so at the end of the year, we go to the convention, and this is where I reconnect with Lex and Moy. Lex and Moy met, we met in OEP back in, back in the day, so we reconnect uh in baltimore convention we're both in the middle of transferring to a new school okay we see each other we're, we're like loving the reminisce and we're catching up and uh there's these there's these there's like a tournament that takes place at the baltimore convention it's like a night nightly tournament like men are drinking beer it's like former pros it's a high level actually it's like 4v4 small goals with goalies okay my college coach is there he's like yeah go play because you at the point, I'm still not knowing where I'm going to go after Lewisburg. So um, that, it's in this point, Gene, where we um, reconnect with Lex. He, you know, he's at he's at Rutgers and ends up transferring to Long Island University, and then um, from Lewisburg College, I end up going to Virginia Commonwealth University. Now, one one thing about um, Dave Saxon and Junior College. They're really trying to get players to the next level. They're just trying to get them to keep playing, whether it's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, whatever it may be. From that junior college, can he get them to the next level? Can they continue playing? Can they continue education? So in the spring, we're playing likes of University of North Carolina. You know, we played Campbell University, which uh, I had a, which ended up being my last game for Lewisburg. I had a had a pretty good game, and um, that's where the VCU scout is. So. From Lewisburg, end of the year, I'm like deciding what I want to do. Campbell was out of the picture because it was out of state. They were offering money, but it was out of state and it was still too much money. Still too much money. Um, so I had to go in state, which was a lot cheaper. So the, the only two options were George Mason University and Virginia Commonwealth University. Who went to George Mason, Jing? Mr. Gabe, Nor Gabe Norwood, basketball player for PBA. He was actually there. He was actually there my years at VCU. And I, I caught up with him recently and was like, man, I watched you play. I was there. I was there when you guys lost to VCU. VCU um, had a great basketball team. Um, but my decision to go to VCU was, you know, obviously I had that connection with my, with my college coach at the time. And um, that was the main reason. Also, the style of play that they were playing. So I already have this connection with the, with the coach. And, they're playing like an international brand. They recruit heavily international, playing really like good college soccer. 
on the ground. Like it's a different style from most schools. Whereas George Mason was playing quite direct. And I remember because my mom was like, George Mason's closer. She's like, uh, if you go to George Mason, you can commute. I'll buy you a car. But at this point, I was really looking for a college life after Lewisburg College. You know, I really wanted to be in the city, and um, so VCU it, it worked out. It, it, um, I really enjoy my my year, my two years at VCU. We didn't have the greatest um, seasons actually, but overall, the experience of the life outside of football and the football experience was also, even though we didn't do well, it was still memorable. Um, the year before I go to VCU, they, they, they reached the Elite Eight of the NCAA tournament. So, you know, they had a lot of returning players, some players that went on to the MLS, like Dominic Aduro and Andrew Dykstra yeah, that, that we played with. But that first year at VCU was actually um, like, like one of the worst seasons in uh, VCU history, sadly. Okay, so we have that. I play a little bit, we get, you know, I get some experience that summer. We joined the uh, PDL League, which is the Premier Development League. This is the league where all of the college kids are playing. Chris, you know about this league, right? PDL. So this is a highly competitive national league taking place over the summer, all over the country. College kids are playing over the summer just to keep sharp, just to keep fit. So I go, I go down to Williamsburg, Williamsburg Legacy. At the end of the season, the coach tells us we have the Northern Virginia Royals, the Richmond Kickers, and the Williamsburg Legacy if you want to play uh, PDL, which I did. I, I stayed in Richmond and um, took some summer classes. And the Richmond kickers were, weren't really interested. So I went down to Williamsburg and had a great uh, experience down in Williamsburg. They had a, a coach by the name of Richie Burke. I don't know if you heard of him, Chris. He's an English guy as well, migrated down. And um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a fun experience. I ended up scoring two really, really nice goals against Richmond. And the coach of my college coach sees it. So I, I bust my ass off that summer thinking like going into my senior year, like, you know, confident. But as that senior year goes on, I, I don't start. Bro. I start like two games at the end of the year. I played, but I wasn't a starter my senior year. Um, for whatever reason, you know, that's just how it was. But I, I, kept, I kept playing. And um, I can remember at the end of uh, college, it's like um, – my last semester, once the college season ended, Jing, it was more like it was like a like a revelation, epiphany, and a breakdown all in one semester, man. Like just imagine you're you're a part of a team your whole life, and then you're no longer a part of a team. You have it was very liberating, but you know, uh, I look next? back on that last semester. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I re I remember looking back at that last semester at VCU as one of my favorite semesters because I didn't have any obligation to do to go to a coach or go to a meeting. And I was finding things out about myself that I didn't really know. Like I was just doing my own training. I was in my own head. Nobody could tell me anything. I was so liberated at that moment. I remember going to the, the VCU practice just to watch. I would, you know, the coach would have his little coaches meeting at the end. I'd walk over just to listen, you know. No, before, if I'm on the team, I'm not part of that meeting, but I'm grad, I'm done playing. I'm like, I just want to listen, hear what they're saying. Um, I was always trying to get myself into these experiences so yeah um i'm like stoked i'm like i'm gonna go i'm gonna try and go pro that, that was my thing you know so after that season started the first usl showcase which is the united soccer league showcase the, the tier below mls this is the first year they did it chris they had like 150 players basically hmm. anyone anyone with a resume they're gonna let in so 
like like most things in my life, after after I leave, things got better. The years after, they shut, they cut it down and made it a bit more of a inclusion type uh, type process. But that was my first professional experience per se, and I can remember because uh, I, I, after school I went home because we flew out of out of DC, and I reconnected with that Trinidadian national team coach or national team player before who coached my brother coached me a guy by the name of Ian Bain so I hit him up I'm like Ian I'm trying to play pro I'm got I got this USL showcase can you train me can, can we meet and he's like done call come over 8 a.m I go over to his house and um I, I remember this experience so much because so much of what he told me I, it sticks with me and I, I I preach it whenever whenever possible but um he trains me one-on-one -on -one, and the entire time, Chris, he's talking, talking, you know, I t he's like, what position you want to play? I'm like, well, I'm going to go as a winger, left or right. And he's telling me things that I never knew. Like, you know, keep your, keep your heels as far to the end line. Like the end line is either your friend or your enemy. You know, he talks to me about the different checks to the ball. You know, he's telling me how to recover. Like when you're, when you're trying to catch your breath, like take a deep breath in with the nose. Quick blow, quick out the mouth, just to expand those lungs. He's telling me, this is the one that really stuck with me, Chris. He's, Nate, you have to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else will. So that really stuck with me. Um, he, he, he said so many things that I had to write down. He was like, when you're done, after this, go home, take a pen, write it down, refer to those things while you're uh, you know, on the bus or getting ready to trip, getting ready to train. He mentioned things like, Taking a long cool down, taking taking make make sure you stretch properly at the end. So that's why I I was always stretching a lot after after trainings or games. Um, trying to think what else you might say, but yeah, I go down to I go down to my it's in Florida. Um, like I said, it's it's like overcasted with so many players, all dreaming big. And um, the only thing that really comes from that showcase is a, a FIFA agent from Spain. He really really wanted me to bring bring me to Spain, and the Richmond Kickers Pro Team, which was a, a bit of a surprise, but I was stoked because I'm in school trying to finish my last semester. And then uh, the Richmond Kickers say, when you get back to school, Nate, come to our uh, come to our winter camp. You know, so I'm still finishing my school. I literally have like a 10 a.m. child psychology class the day of practice, which was a 7 a.m. training. Uh, this is one that I, I really don't understand too much because it never really gave me a good reason because I came into that training camp <laughs> scoring goals, taking players on, keeping the ball, doing, I was sharp. You know, I really felt like I would have signed for anything at that moment too, because it's like, I just want to play, you know? So about two weeks of training, doing well, scoring goals, like I said, and, you know, they tell me, yeah, things are going to work out. So, okay, that's fine. You know, I finished my, finished my degree and, um, you know, do one more summer league in Fredericksburg. And really tried to stay in Richmond to because I really enjoyed Richmond, but things didn't work out. So I ended up going home back with mommy, uh, back in Alexandria. And then this is 2007, so it was really four years before I got to 2011. It really, those four years were, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot happened. I tore my ACL. Um, before I tore my ACL, I go to Europe. I was just a friend of mine who went to George Mason, the guy who brought me for my uh, official visit. He had some experience, he had some agent, had some ties. So, you know, I'm, I'm still dreaming at this point, like, let's do it. Like, I didn't really know what was out there. Nothing was concrete, but we fly out to Belgium. He had an agent 
we had an experience with the golf. I told Jeffrey and uh, Angelo about this because they're Belgian, right? So I told them about this experience. Uh, it wasn't really a, a, a pro tryout per se because when we got there, the, the, the first team had a game. So they didn't really give us a proper look. It was still a good experience nonetheless because we're training in Europe for the first time, really. And um, things aren't really working with this agent. So the guy brings us to Tambur. Tambur, which is where Paul Paul Mudders played, mm -hmm. right? So he brings he brings us to Paul brings us to Tambur. He's like he knows the uh, the acting manager at the moment. He's a he's a friend of his. So he's like, okay, I'll let you guys, the two of you, train with the reserves. This is the Tambur reserves, and then by the end of that training camp, we'll give you a game against an amateur team, and we'll invite you know, the public so we can you know any teams that might wanna might wanna sign you or whatever will be there. So they do all of this. It's a, it's a great experience, Chris. We're, we're training with Camber Reserves. I mean, what can I say? It was, it was tough. High level was high, really, really high to training. These are all European players eager to get into that first team, you know? So uh, we get to that amateur game, which was a phenomenal experience. My first time, I think my first and only experience of playing 90 minutes in Europe. And uh, they got me playing the nine. They play traditional 4-3-3 Dutch style. And this game for me, Chris and Jane, was one of the most um, memorable games, not because I scored or anything, just because I was a part of this experience where I'm with a pro team, basically, and we're playing an amateur team. And I can remember, this is why it sticks out, because we won. We won like 3 or 4-0. I had a, I had a, I have a pretty good game. The players are coming up to me, like, really surprised. I'm laying balls off. I'm getting shots off, whatever. And uh, the reason why it sticks out is because we were winning 3-4-0, pressing this amateur team the entire match, Chris. And uh, no matter how high we pressed them, they're still trying to play out of the back from a goal kick. It was mm -hmm. just the commitment to their philosophy and their style of play. It was really admirable. From These are just amateurs. You know, you know, amateurs are still high level in Europe. Don't get me wrong. But you know, here we are smashing them, and they're still trying to play out the back. It was, it was one – I've never been a part of anything like that. So it's kind of eye-opening. You realize, like, well, us people in America are really far behind, you know. So after that Canberra experience, I'm lucky enough to get in touch with my college roommate, Matthijs Marouanaya, who had played for Alekman, AZ Alekman. Matthijs is one of my best friends. He's all, his brother was playing for Hedefed, uh, uh, first division Holland at the time. He just graduated. And I was kind of like lost still. There was, you know, I was kind of reaching out to people like, I'm in Europe, like, I got to stay here as long as I can. I got to keep trying. So. He, luckily, I, I touched base with him. We're staying in Alakmar. We, uh, he lets me train with his amateur team in Alakmar, which was a wonderful experience for me. You know, I, I, I didn't train with their first team. I trained with their second team. But we're still like, you know, I just, I just uh, embraced myself into the culture. I was like riding a bike, you know, like going to the, <laughs> to the bakeries or cafes and training. You know, it was, it was like the life you would you would dream you would want you know it's a good experience really really good i think that trip in europe even though nothing panned out um i got me a lot of that professional environment and experience that really helped me when i got to the philippines i feel so yeah two weeks what was, it, by, what, was uh, what was the general consensus nate because obviously you said you, you felt like you did quite well in the camber game obviously you've been trying yeah, a few well, different places what was the general consensus then if you didn't pick anything up general consensus with what do you mean 
Like, but what is the way you didn't pick up a contract? Obviously, that's what you're there for primarily. Yeah, like, well, did, did they give you any feedback or was it circumstantial? They didn't. They didn't. Because Kimber was just kind of giving it, they weren't looking at us. They were kind of just giving us the opportunity to train okay, because, there was that, because there was that connection with the player, Catherine, gotcha. and, and, the, and the guy. So they were really just doing us a favor, bro. Really. They, you know, they were really just doing us a favor. And I'm very thankful because that experience was one of a kind, really. I mean, how, how, how else would I've experienced something like that if you, if you didn't know the right people? So, um, yeah, I just remember after the game, the players were like kind of shocked. They're like, "Hey, you're doing well. You're holding the ball up. You, you know, you." These these players were quality players, man. All reserve of Canberra at that time. Like, they had a point to prove, as everyone in Europe does. So, um, so yeah, things. Uh, I go back. I mean, Alakmar, things aren't really going on my friend Matthijs's mom is probably at this point like what's going on with this guy he's living with us for so long no they were so graceful though they were so hospitable I love them I still keep in touch with Matthijs and um so I, I come home and I end up having to fly back home a little disappointed but you know at least I have still had experience and I'm, I'm still doing as many USL tryouts as possible there was one in Pittsburgh there was a couple in Real Maryland there was a few you know, these are all paid tryouts, Gene. You go up there, hundreds, hundreds of kids trying out. You know, they're going to select two players, something like this. So none of those, none of those uh, pan out. I tore my ACL, was, took my time, was out for a year. This is where I met your, your brother's partner, Chris. Well, reconnected with your brother's partner, Mr. Santino Caranta. So I mm. get my, my ACL surgery by a, by a doctor by the name of James Gilbert. And I, I, uh, I consulted with him basically all of my life except for this last knee injury at Dava, okay? But he does my ACL, reconstructive ACL, torn meniscus, does me up proper. And then we have this great uh, therapy that they offer also most, Metro Orthopedic Sports Therapy was in Silver Spring, Maryland. This is where Santino was. I'm, I'm already post-surgery, getting rehab, he's there. I guess he's still with DC United at this point, he has an injury. And I can just remember Chris, I actually played against him because he was an 84 with the regional team. So I remember him. I knew he was like pro already. And he was just, I remember he gave me some positive words. It was nice. He's like, you know, things will get better. Just, you know, stay strong, stay positive. And, um, you know, I come back slowly. I took, I really took my time with that ACL coming back. Start getting involved in more leagues. Uh, start getting comfortable. Just playing again anywhere, any, any and everywhere locally. So um, I, I joined the Aegean Hawks, which was an amateur team that played the highest level possible. They actually won the national championship uh, as an amateur team for the amateur cup. I was injured at that point, but I played with them on the weekends. I played with a team by the name of AV Challenge. It's like local leagues, basically. So this is where I get my next opportunity, Chris. I'm, I'm playing with AV Challenge. This is like a pub team, basically, we're sponsored by a, by a, by a bar, you know, on the shirt. <laughs> it's like, it's like Bailey's Pub, Bailey's Pub, you know. Um, at this point, I'm already confident. I've, I'm already fully recovered. And I have a have a hat trick in this game. It's a men's league. I have a hat trick. Um, the eight, the coach, the ref of this game is a FIFA former FIFA ref from Bulgaria. The sideline by the game by the sideline ref is a guy by the name of Gregoff. He he works for Alexander Soccer now. Immediately after uh, during the game, he's like talking to me. He's like, "We got to talk after this game." So I'm like, <laughs> "Okay, um, this is cool." So I'm still dreaming. I never gave up on the on the dream. So yeah, he he's like. I have a strong agent. We'll bring you to Bulgaria. You deserve to keep playing. I don't know why you're playing here. And I, I was like, this all happened within a matter of weeks, bro. Like, I get home. 
I go to their house, sign a contract with this agent, and within like a matter of two weeks, I'm telling my uh, cook, my, my jobs, that I'm flying to Bulgaria for this tryout. So I get to Bulgaria, Minyor, Minyor Pernik, okay? Minyor Pernik is a club. Bulgaria, I mean, cold, dark, um, what can I say, gray, like, it's definitely an experience. I wouldn't have been happy playing there, but it was definitely an experience of a lifetime, but I'm still chasing it, you know? So I get to the training camp. Uh, I do well, scoring goals, feeling confident. I had a journey, I had a journal, because I remember my buddy was having me write, uh, write about the experience. It's, it's there somewhere online. I wrote every day or every experience, just kind of going over how things were going and how I'm feeling, and I'm feeling confident, you know? It's good news that at the end of that training camp, they're like, we like you. Come back in January for the preseason. Okay, so I go home that December. This is 2000, right before I left, 2000, 2010, 2011, January, I go for preseason. I was a bit, you know, naive, I would say, to go back in January. You know, it's, it's the holidays. I probably didn't prioritize and focus training. I was like with the family, friends, holidays. January comes around, they fly me back to Bulgaria. And I remember I was, this reason why I would say I was a bit naive was because I remember talking to the agent. I was like, there's other players here training, trying out. And he's like, what? Of course there are. You know, there's players trying out. It's, it's, people are trying to get a contract. So that's when I realized, like, oh, I really got to have to fight and, and, and earn this, you know? So I were in two weeks in Bulgaria. And, you know, the first week is basically all fitness. No problem with me. I, I can handle all that. Second week is more on the ball and training, kind of feeling like not really confident and the levels. I could play in it, but I definitely wasn't, wasn't my best showing. I wasn't really so confident at this moment. And so we really only had one game at the end of that week. And all of the trial players only had one half, the second half. So after that second half, not really good showing, no goal scored, and, you know, end up coming home. I remember the agent kind of was disappointed because I was ready to go home at that point. I was really, like, unhappy. You know, I was like, the agent wanted me to keep um, trying. He's like, well, why don't we try another team? And at this point, I'm like, I really just want to go home. So he's like, all right, you want to go home? You pay for your flight, you go home. So that's exactly what I did. I go home, and that's when my uh, that's January. By May is when I, uh, my mom gets that kind of, she gets in touch with the national team. But Dan Palami, we find out there's a, through a family friend that he's also from Globan. And he's like, Dan Palami, boss Dan was like, great, let him come for the open trial, which was in May. And... Um, this kind of brings me to my, my story with OJ, which is how I, OJ is also from Virginia, right? So I can remember OJ when he was four years old because he had a little Team America blue, blue shirt dribbling around on the, one of the indoor places. And I was like, this kid's, he's, he's got some skills, you know? So by the, time I, by the time he's 16, I see him again. And I'm like, this is the same kid. I know it. I know it. Because the way he plays is like, He's still dribbling around. So this is my first introduction to OJ. We kind of get build our friendship there. And I tell him, yeah, this is Anton and Ali. I was in touch with them. They're planning to do this uh, summer trial in California. So that's where he went. He went there. And we were actually in uh, there together for when we arrived in the Philippines for that first day in Alaban, which sadly he injured his knee. But that's kind of my story with OJ. And um, yeah, that, that's that. Like, my mom was so stoked, like I said, to, to tell me about the Philippine national team. And, Man. Um, yeah, like, exactly. This is quite a journey. So at this point, you know, it all happened. I knew it was like, this is it. This, this is it. 
So all that experience brought me to the Philippines. It's like all those professional experiences really helped me, you know, because um, you learn a lot, even though uh, all those failures and successes, you're going to learn a lot. You know, and if you're still positive, if you're still ready to pursue those dreams, you, you, you push hard enough, something will, will, will come eventually. You know, I always knew I could play. I always knew that I just, where in the world am I going to play? And I'm just, I got so much love for the Philippines and I'm just thankful that it is like a dream come true, you know. Man, unbelievable yeah. how long, you know, and, and, and storied the journey is getting to the Philippines, you know. And when we see yeah, you man. here, and as I said, you know, there's that notion of like, these foreign-born Filipinos just coming over here trying to get an easy payday, you know, trying to take a job. They have no idea where you come from. You know what I mean? They have no idea the... Yeah. the I was 26. Uh, Jing, I was 26. Damn. 26. Yeah, yeah. When I arrived. Damn. So, yeah. All the, to all those young kids, all those young kids, like, it's really... Don't give up, you know what I mean? Like, don't give up, no matter how old you are, you know? You just keep pushing. Two things stick out to me there from, from your story, right? Um, first of all, is like how far you had to go in order to make it here to the Philippines, right? I mean, you'd played in Europe, you'd played, as you said, you, you'd, you'd gone to Brazil, you'd played in all kinds of tournaments in the United States. So much competition. There's so much competition for you to stay involved in the game, right? And something that you mentioned in your letter is something that perhaps we don't have here in the Philippines is the wealth of competition, especially in the youth, yeah. right? Uh, we, that's something that is drastically lacking in, in, in our environment at, at the yeah. moment. And for you, you had plenty of opportunities to try to pick yourself back up and try to get yourself to a level that you were happy with. I'm not sure that everybody else has that same opportunity here in, in, in the Philippines. It's certainly not yeah. that kind of experience of you know, having to overcome failure and having to come back up and pick yourself up and, and try again, you know? Um, yeah. That, that's why I feel like I can help so much, Jing, because the, the the landscape in America and here in the Philippines is, is very. There's a lot of similarities, you know, a lot, a lot of similarities. I think and when I was growing up in America, it was really still developing. Imagine when I'm born. There's there's not even a pro league when I'm born, 1985. There's no pro league at that moment. So, you know, I was there for that developmental stages of America, and that's why, you know, we're here in the Philippines. It's basically still developmental stages. So, I feel like. You know, there's a lot to take from from America and uh, how they went about it because it's a pay-to-play system, Chris. Same, same as it is. Yeah, I think I'm, it's, ba- it's, I'm basically a part. I'm basically a product of pay-to-play. Yeah, I think there's two really interesting things for me that I took away from that, um, guys. The uh, the first one is that you don't know who's watching you. Never. That's one massive one, and I think what some people fall into the trap of is thinking that okay this is my big opportunity where invariably a lot of times it's never that moment that you think is going to be that defining moment of your career a lot of them are those sliding moments someone just happens to walk past your field at one particular point in time who's that guy over there oh it's him oh maybe i'll stay and watch this this guy's like and invariably that's what trans transpires as being that that pivotal moment in that player's individual career like that's that's a massive massive one and there's so many players careers that seem to hinge on these 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 moments that they didn't even realize was was going to be an opportunity for them so that was something i found really interesting and something that there are any kids that are out there listening or watching the episode need to take heed from that it's not like oh, i'm going to play in this cup final and all the scouts going to be there or or, you know that's not it that's mom called Hey, Kawa. <laughs> um, 
The other one is a competition one. And it's a big, big problem. It's a massive problem. And it's something that I cannot emphasize enough. Yeah, in the Philippines. Across the board, mate. Across the, the board. Biggest, across the board. It's, it's the biggest, for me, debilitating factor here in the Philippines. And right. is what is the biggest separator in somewhere like Europe. So I look back to my time and I'm thinking back to I signed for Brighton when I was 11, 12 years old. So from 12 yeah. to 16, every Sunday I was playing in games and they were tight, they were tough, they were demanding. If you didn't play well one week, you wouldn't play the next because the difference yep. between the it's best player on the team and the worst player on the team yeah. is minimal. The difference, the margins are so fine. Yeah. The difference yeah. between winning and losing is so fine. And then, and then it's about stepping up through the level. So let's say you go, you, you know, you're a star player in your age group. Okay, there's only so long you'll be able to play at that level until you're pushed onto the next level. So you have to go and play up an age group, or you have to go and um, train with an older group, or you have to go and play against better players. And you're always forced to uh, play outside of your comfort zone on a consistent and a regular basis. And I think that's what separates, um, especially here in the Philippines, versus what my experience in in, in um, in the UK growing Europe. up is that you, yeah. you only get, you only probably get a handful of really competitive games over the course of the year, number one. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's not played 11 months of, of, of the year here um, is a problem, is a problem. Yeah. And I know that, and I know you've touched on upon it. And if I'm going to single out one thing that I would agree with you and back you 100% with your open letter is, oh. is your disdain. I'm going to call it disdain for the festival type scenario. Um, which for me, it, it, it also ties in quite nicely with what you said earlier about your mum making um, the poor decision on, on bringing you and your brother to, to what was perceived to be a, a, a better club. It is that, you know, obviously, again, the intentions are good and you probably just want them to be on a better team or more successful team. Right. But is that the right thing for, you, for your player development? And is going to these tournaments the best thing for player development? The chances are... Right. No. Why? Because the kid's going to be playing in the tournament where you absolutely have to win. Have to you win. have to yep. win. You have to win. You have to win. Are you the tiny, small, mm -hmm. physically underdeveloped, really technical player, but not able to, to impact a game right now? Right. Well, you're sitting mm -hmm. on the bench the entire day. You're watching your bigger, physically more capable players play 10 games in one day, and you're just going to go home at the end of that day feeling deflated, feeling miserable, losing enthusiasm for the game and invariably you'll choose to do a different pursuit that's the, the way i see it and a lot of those kids then slip through the net similarly you'll see the kids that are playing in a tournament they're winning these games they're winning the finals five nil six nils because they haven't they've accumulated all of the best talent from one city or one one right. one place they're going right. smashing everyone oh this is this is incredible we're the best mum and dad are happy they put their pictures up on facebook and instagram to um you know to show off to their friends in the office on a monday right Mm -hmm. when your kid gets to 16 17 years of age and they're playing in a youth national team and you're getting beat 15-0 by indonesia because those right. kids have been playing competitive footballs week in week out mm -hmm. relative to the philippines anyway yeah. then you realize actually those developmental years were just wasted picking up meaningless trophies so yeah. really really interesting that, that for me what you were saying and being able to pick up on those points but then kind mm -hmm. of going back to your your love letter which is the thing that sort of ties this whole thing together <laughs> is, is yeah. that I know you have a real disdain for that festival type. So I'm sort of going on a tangent yeah. here a little bit, but just talk me ah, through a little good. bit about your, 
talk to me a little bit about your sort of feelings behind that because you talked about that a lot in your in your letter listen youth tournaments i've i've been like i said i was a part of a lot of youth tournaments there's nothing wrong with a youth tournament but when it becomes the norm and uh, the thing that's more consistent then it's a problem because it's just one day these games are 20 minutes coaches are only trying to win they're not trying to play good football um you know you can even see players like wasting time and it's like you're, you're a youth player why are you wasting time you know like they're always seven aside or five you know i just think like you said you gotta have a league you gotta have that consistent game real game not like compressed game you know long 40 minute one hour game to where they can really take that time to develop it's all about development really at the youth and grassroots level that's it there's no question about it you have to you have to focus on the development you know and is is playing in these tournaments more of a development as you said no it's not you know they're going to get more of a they're going to get more out of playing consistently weekend on the on the weekends in a, in a league format so you know these youth tournaments these festivals, yeah, they can be fun at some time, but when you're playing more youth tournaments than an actual league, that's not good. That's not good. You know, the league should be the focus. So that was just my idea on, 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 on a dream or, or my, my hopes for what that youth football can look like in the Philippines because, you know, these tournaments aren't, aren't the way to go, I think. You know, they can the weekend, and some of them are even one day, Chris. When I was with, the, with your brother's, when I was took over your brother's team, we played in the JFC tournament. We won. It was a beautiful, beautiful tournament, beautiful experience, but it's just a one-day tournament, you know? It, it, like, I don't know. Like I said, if the games are being compressed, it's not good. You, know, you really have to space it out, like you said, on the weekends, as opposed to playing six games in one week, and then you don't play a game for months or weeks at a time. <laughs> doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. Uh, something that, that stood out to me when what you wrote is um, that you would love to see in the future perhaps uh, tournaments being done separately in places in, in Luzon, separate tournaments being done in Visayas, separate tournaments being yeah. done in Mindanao, similar to how it's done in the States where you've got you know your district and then moving on to state and then eventually a national tournament. Um, it could very well be implemented here in the Philippines, right? You yeah. have your Mindanao champions uh, your Visayas champions between, you know, uh, Iloilo, Bacolod, and, you know, Dumaguete. Yeah. There's so many hotbeds of it's, Luzon, similarly, where you could have so NCR dense, so dense. battle against, yeah. you know, uh, there's Baguio all the way down to, uh, all the way up to Ilocos and all the way down yeah. to the, the, the southern regions, uh, Batangas and lower, right? I mean, there's so much potential for that. But right now, there's nothing going on. There's, so no. with, with that landscape in mind, how do we get the ball rolling, right? I mean, it's nice to, to daydream about it because I've, the, the mm -hmm. thing that resonated with me is I've done similar. You know, I really want to get leagues off the ground. I think that's the way forward, honestly. Um, yeah. Whether we do it, um, you know, like a Mahati League first, which eventually turns into an NCR League, uh, who knows, right? But how do we start doing it? I mean, because we have the good intentions. Um, but how, what, what do you foresee as the first few steps of, of getting that going? That's yeah, that's tough, Jane. It's not, I mean, the, the, I just look at what the Anton did, all right? Like, this is a prime example. He went out there, he pushed it, you know? Um, and now, 
he's expanded to different parts of the country, which is, which is what, what you want. Why does it take a former player to do something like that? You know, credit to Anton. He thought of it, he put, put in the groundwork, but why did it have to come to that? You know, because people don't take the initiative to, to do something like that. They're, they're so complacent with these tournaments, these festivals, and they want to focus on those things. Uh, it could be a money thing, could be a money scheme, could be they really just like those festival things. But for a development standpoint, um, it's not sustained. It's not as make sense. Yeah. You know? uh, so to answer your question, how do we, how do we, how do we, uh, what's the first step? I mean, I guess you just go into the, the federations of each region, you sit down with them. And then you, you just kind of you, you build and you plan. It, it, it's not that difficult, really, Jim. You just got to get the right people in the right room and talk about things. You go to the Federation of, of Mindanao. You go to the Federations down in, in Visayas. And you sit down with them and say, okay, listen, we want to do a league for each of these islands. And the winner, we can have like a, a tournament at the end. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it, it is just me making things easy. I don't, is it that difficult? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't sound that difficult if Anton Derosari was able to do it with the seventh league. I mean, yeah, I don't know. What do you fair, think, Chris? Fair, I mean, what, what, what would be the first step? For sure. What would be the first step, Chris, in, in doing making a, a youth league around the country? What, what do you the, think? Yeah, we, we said this on the, on the podcast before, Jing. You know, we, we believe in that same system, that regionalization of, yeah. of, of tournaments and having it done via the regional FAs. And I think that the, the big key thing for me here, Nate, is exactly what you said, is how difficult is it to get these guys in the room? And how difficult yeah. is it for, to get these guys into the room and actually speaking about it, turning them into advocates for this type of program? You know, which yeah. for me seems like a very easy and logistical, uh, method, uh, methodical way of doing it. Uh -huh. But I think maybe this is where we are... Um, seeing that it's it's not as as, as easy as, as easy. we perhaps would would think i again i don't yeah. know because but i i know from my experiences sitting in boardrooms where we have you know with the yfl and everyone's got their opinion yeah. and it's and you know again all comes from good intentions but when you've got mm -hmm. you know 21 30 chefs in the kitchen it's gonna be very hard to cook a good meal do you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's, it's yeah, and i feel like that seems to be part of part of a bigger broader issue across the board um, you know, everyone wants to have their have their say, and then I think ultimately no one's that accountable for whether or not things, you know, go wrong or, or aren't put in place. People are very quick to put up their hand and say, "Oh yeah, I was part of that initiative," but they're not very, uh, um, you know, they're, they're definitely always hiding in the background when it comes to well, who, right. who's, who's 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 at fault for there being no Philippine players playing in the national team right now that are developed from mm -hmm. from the homegrown system. So yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's hundred percent. I think exactly what you're saying is is right. Um, but I think the reason why someone like Anton's going to had to have gone out and done it by himself. It's because those conversations are very difficult to, to put in place and, and, and very difficult right. to get by in, Nate. That's, that's, my, yeah. that's my take yeah. on it, Jing. I don't know if you agree or the not, but that seemingly is a problem. And perhaps the reason why Anton is, is uh, succeeding so much Successful? is because he's uh -huh. outside of the Federation. He didn't have to deal with the associations of any of these places that this he's expanded true. to. He's only this had to true. talk to one individual or a group of individuals in that area, and they needed to activate in that region using the model mm -hmm. that he supplied without having to get approval, without having to uh, go through the proper channels. There was nothing. It was, uh, it was fair game. You know, it was the wild, wild west out there for sevens. So 
clearly with less red tape, progress is faster, right? I mean, True. he's already got set up um, Bacolod. He has one in Iloilo, right? He has one in Cebu, right? And yep. he was in, and the concept is already there, bringing everybody together to play in a, all the champions in those regions coming together to play against one another. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's what you want to see across the board, right? That's, that's what you want to see. And it, it, it's nice that Anton's already got a bit of a model for us to follow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing for sure. We just can be replicated, you know, further on. And can we eventually build an 11 aside league? Because yeah, seventies you know, league is fun, but let's be fair. Like game is 11 aside. So if you're not playing 11 aside, what what good is what good is Ben Seven aside? Yeah. So hopefully in the future that will that can that can you know that can happen. So we find ourselves here now, twenty twenty, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. A couple of years removed from uh, playing professionally now, um, having yeah. gone through Davao and, and that entire experience of um, which was rather short lived, unfortunately for that club. Yeah. Um, I, looking back, I want to touch point on this because I was I was so desperate and, and so in a rush to sign a contract with Dava, but I really wish I took my time and sat down with boss Jeff Cheng. Maybe maybe he doesn't need my help or not, but looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty again. I wish I would have sat down with Jeff Cheng in a room, say, "Talk to me. What, what, what's your vision? What's your plan? I can help you. I've been on three clubs. I've been here since two thousand eleven. You want to build a club? Okay. Tell me what what's your vision? What's your goal? I can help you." build the team i can help in in many ways consult not just not just a player but you know like i said at that moment i was really just trying to sneak a deal and s- secure my family uh because my, 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 i just found out my, my, my girlfriend was pregnant so i was really just trying to you know get that contract in in, in. but you know maybe he would have let me help him or maybe not you know guys like that might not think you know how much can i help him but I definitely feel like my experience could have could have maybe maybe helped Dava because for me this is one of the the saddest stories in Philippine football. They had so much potential, really. They had a lot of potential. And I was there from the beginning. I saw how they tried to build. I saw what they went through. I saw their approach. You know, I, I spoke up obviously, but there's only so much I can say or from my position. You know, who's going to listen to me really? Um, yeah, it's just unfortunate the way things ended up for Davao because you know they 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 definitely had a, a lot of aspirations, you know, and they, they had a lot of plans. I know they had a lot of plans for for Davao and Mindanao in itself, but yeah. unfortunately things happened the way they did and they folded. Right. So that ended, right? And unfortunately for yeah. you, you were on the sidelines at at the back end of that one already. Yeah. So especially definitely during my injury point, I was like, all right, I'm injured, I can't play, but let me get on like a managerial side or like try and just get inside. Cause I saw how it was, I saw how, you know, I saw how things were unfolding and things were going to go down soon quickly, which they did. I saw all that. I foresaw all that, you know, they're signing too many players too fast, too big of money. It's like, what are you trying to build here? How, what are you really trying to build? Hmm. So do you obviously see yourself- they just wanted a championship. Go ahead. Do you see yourself like getting involved in, in professional football uh, in some capacity uh, down the road? Um, I know you're involved in possibly, youth coaching possibly right now. Possibly, so. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing uh, the youth and the grassroots. That's kind of where my bread and butter. I, I love connecting with the kids and and seeing the way how the the 
the league is now, it's not really the best time. Maybe in the future. I, I told Coco I would love to start commentating these PFL games whenever they start. That's kind of like a, a step in it. I think and, you'd be um, great at that, man. I was just thinking yeah, that, actually. Yeah, I, I told him I'd love to. I want to help. Any way I can help, I want to help, you know. And obviously, I can't play anymore. So, you just can't, you just kind of got to look at what can you help with. So, yeah, I can coach. But even just commentating games, I think you got some in there who kind of has some experience, has knows a little bit about football, been, been traveled. Like, you might be able to help, you know. It could be good. So, I told Coco, and he was, yeah, you know. And I also told him of my uh, dream to maybe coach the youth national team. As far as a professional game, I'm open to it in the, in the future. If the timing's right and the opportunity's right, I think I could be, could be open to it. It really just depends, Jim. It really just depends. Mm. I so, definitely want to go ahead and continue my, my coaching courses, I think, you know, starting with the AFCC and then maybe follow what Chris and guys like Ormond did with that UEFA B in the future. But I have my AFCC and a... Um, and a, a, a de-license in America, which is not really worthy, but I think the next step would be a, another AFCB, which is done regionally or domestically, and then maybe in the future, future, could do something like what Chris did and what Ormond did, and my buddy from Guam, Jay Cunliffe did, which is take the UA to B in, in Ireland. I see. So coaching badges on the horizon for you? Possibly. I mean, it's in the mind, definitely now that I'm getting back into it. The first one would be the AFCB because I already have the C. And like I said, it could be done in the Philippines or at least regionally. But ultimately, if I am going to jump in, I, I want to get the, the best I can get, which would be a UEFA. You know? So we'll see. Uh, just kind of aspirations as of now, and we'll, we'll see how that, how that really takes. You know? We didn't get an opportunity, Chris, to really speak to Nate about your experiences playing uh, domestically with the UFL and all of that. I mean, uh, although we are right. Oh yeah, there's so many, so many experiences, so uh, many stories, man. A bit long. I mean, I, I'd, I'd recommend checking out uh, Nate's highlights on YouTube. Nate Berkey's mm -hmm. highlights, man. There's, you know, from UMAC to Rizal to uh, Emperador. Uh, so Fun many time, games, man. Sometimes. Um, what would you say is the stat? That's, that's just 2011, really. Oh, oh that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I think I, that was obviously before me, so my first season with Nate, or actually my only season with Nate at, at Kyle was yeah. uh, 2013. But what was interesting about that period? So we had, so I mean, we had Maor at the start for you know a short period, which was eventful, and then I came in, took the team for what three games, yeah. um, and then they, then obviously Dave came in, yeah, and yeah, I mean it was it was such a I mean, I want to say a fun period, but also a very tumultuous period in, in the club. But, I mean, yeah. Nate was probably pretty pivotal in some of the most iconic games of that period, for sure. You know, I'm looking at the, the global game, probably the, the, the standout one, you know, 2-0 down, dead and buried, come back to win the game 3-2, Nate scores two. Yep. Um, I mean, yeah, that was, that's going to be the standout game. I, I, I'd imagine probably one of the highlights of your car career one of definitely one of um you know early on we had Juan Petilius we had Gale and then yeah like you said uh, came. that was def that game was definitely a, a highlight you know being beating global at any any league cup any point is going to be monumental because they were the, they were the team you know at that point in, that point in 
hip hop looking hip hop they were the team. So um yeah. I definitely <laughs> coming to the end of my Kaya days, I wasn't I remember because I started coaching with you and um I wasn't I, I guess I was going through a little bit of a slump with my playing. I've had some personal issues with, with my relationship at the time and um these were their reasons for for not re-signing me because I, I, I didn't really score many goals, but I remember being very, very disappointed with how things worked out, Jane and Christian. This is just me opening up, being honest. You know, the way Kaya released me, I felt was very disrespectful. You know, uh, I had a meeting with Paul right before I left. We sat down and we talked. The conversation, you know, nothing was final or determined, but it was kind of like, yeah, your contract's up. Let's talk over the holiday, you know, kind of making me feel like, okay, um, things can kind of, we can work from this, you know, things can, we'll work something out. So I go home and um, I go home and uh, Paul and I have some phone conversations that I can remember weren't so pleasant. Um, we, you know, he's kind of arguing to the point like, yeah, Nate, you're a striker. You didn't, you only scored X amount of goals and, you know, to, to credit, like I'm also an academy coach. I've also been with the club for years and maybe I don't deserve a increase in salary, but there's some value there. So the conversation didn't go too well. The next communication is an email telling me, sorry, Nate, coach and I, real, you know, we're not going to resign you. I didn't even reply. I was so, you know, came out of left field. I'm home in the States and I just felt the guy's been at the club for that long. Give him a phone call at least, you know. And, and my whole point was I had to sit down with Paul. If that's how he felt now, tell me, tell me then. But I really feel like that conversation we had over the phone that wasn't really so pleasant, so smooth. Um, that kind of what led to it. But I remember there was a little bitterness. And uh, I, looking back, I wish I would have handled things differently when I got to Pachanga, because um, you know, it's it, you know the community's small. I don't want to hate Kai, and I didn't. But, you know, there was definitely some grudge towards the management and the coach at the time. Looking back, it's like, I wish I would have handled things differently because I remember that first game against, you played in this game, Chris. I remember that first game on Pachanga Fred Kai. I was so amped and so <laughs> up for it. But I was so, I was like, my head was, should have just been focused on playing football as opposed to getting back at this club, you know. You know, things, things smoothed out over the years, but that's definitely something I wanted to point out here because it, it was a disappointment for me. But like most things, they worked out for the best. I go on to Pachanga. They actually gave me more money. And I remember, Chris, this is a very um, test of your character. Chris Chris calls me Jing, and he's like, mate, the, the academy's mine. Like, you still want to coach. You, I love you. Like, he didn't say I love you, but you're more than welcome to coach. And I, I told him, you know, I really appreciate that, Chris, and I really enjoy coaching with you. I really, Chris, this is the truth. I really enjoy coaching with you. I, I, you, know, you were helping me, you were guiding me a lot. I remember those, if you can remember those coaching days um, in, in uh, what's that, in um, BGC Turf. They were fun times. And um, Chris really helped me with my coaching at that moment. But I just, it didn't sit right with me coaching for a club that I'm not playing for that released me the way they did. So luckily, the Young Husband Brothers set me up with their Chelsea Football Academy at the time and very thankful for that. They gave me a nice salary and which is what I kind of had to live off of because Changa had some months where I wasn't getting paid. But um, yeah, I remember just telling Chris, thank you, but I, I just don't feel right. So I, I, at that moment I started playing for Pachanga and I 
engulfed in that role as technical director for the Chelsea Football Academy, which was which was a very good experience for me. You know, I'm not coaching directly, but just kind of overseeing things. And, you know, it, it was a, overall a really, really good experience. And that year, Pachanga brought me back to the national team, you know, as I had that um, the hiatus. But, you know, Noel gave me some good opportunity. I, you know, the play, this is, for me, this is like the moment in my career where I really get back into Philippine football, per se, in the roots of Philippine football. My coach is local. You know, most of the players are all local. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm coaching again with, with, with the academy. Um, you know, it was just a good, I went and got my AFCC license when I was at Pachanga. It was in, it's, in, it's in that year where I'm really getting my, my roots back into Philippine football. And that's how I was able to, you know, come out of, you know, continue my career really is that Pachanga year. Um, we had that great run in the UFL Cup final. You read my post. I said maybe things would have been different, but you know, we we, we the the brotherhood and the culture there in Pachanga was a lot of fun. But um, you know, also I respect Noel because this was my first um, local coach, aside from Juan Petiles, who had already retired, but my first like local local coach who kind of took me took coached me, and I I really respected him from the beginning. Um, you know, I had a good experience with him. Really, really good experience with him. Man, that was an iconic run. That 2013 UFL. Yeah. Cup. Because of that the was fact so much fun. That final, unfortunately, you missed it. But what an atmosphere that was, man! And what a game! Totally. And what a game! Yeah, really was. good game. Really good game. And that, to me, like, epitomized sort of the potential of Philippine foot club football. Yeah. It was like, yeah, and exactly, if you can recreate exactly. this vibe on a regular basis. We've got something special. That's what it yeah. that that's what it felt like, you know, during that time. Yeah. So Pachanga season's ending. I had a, had a great, um, you know, got back call back to the national team. Had had a good season and um, Global showed some interest. I remember because they won the league that year, and um, Global was interested. And I I was just kind of like waiting to hear and and see if Saris is going to um, reach out to me because Orman. Okanaya. Fun fact about Orman, you guys all picked Orman, right? For your, for your foreign U11. The guy didn't play a single AFC Cup match at all. Not one. He was not in the lineup or the roster. Imagine why? that. You guys all, you guys, personal issues. I mean, I can't really, I can't really say why. Which first year we had Coach Cha, second year we had Coach Ali and Coach Frank. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's something you can't, re I can't really answer. That's, Armand will answer. I, I, I spoke to him to confirm before I got, you know, before, before this. And I was like, you didn't play in any AFC, right? And I'm like, no. He's like, no, I didn't. And, you know, he gave his, his spiel. He was there in the Maldives for that first game, but no, he didn't play. And um, just unfortunate because he was such a quality player and he really deserved, he really deserved to play, you know. Mm. Not saying other guys didn't deserve to play, but if anyone, it should be, Armand should have been in there. So, yeah, going back to that transition period, um, I go – sit down with boss Dan and global guys after the game. And, um, you know, we have a good talk, but I'm just kind of like waiting to see if Saris is going to, to reach out, which they did. And I, I politely de declined from boss Dan and um, had that uh, experience there with, with Saris, which was, which was unforgettable, really. Uh, I definitely wanted to touch point on this, Chris, because, you know, you, you, you had your things to say about LRY and, um, you know, I just kind of got to, I just kind of got to speak up for the guy because, you know, 
I actually met him and spent time with him and, and saw his intentions with, with football at the time, you know. And I don't know if you've met him or not, but it's my theory that in his mind, he's really doing all that he can do to grow and develop uh, Philippine football from his, from, from his point of view, you know. And he also did a lot of other things aside from Serge, because I don't know if you know, he, he supports the, the college teams. He puts on mm -hmm. so many youth tournaments. Um, I, I just believe his intentions were good. Could he have done things differently, Chris? 100%. We all can do things differently. Could he, could he have done maybe things a little better? Of course. But like I said, it is my opinion that the guy was, had good intentions and he was doing the best that he could do. And yeah, like I said, could he have done more? Totally. But he also changed a lot. He also did, you know, we, have to, we can't throw out what he did. You know, he, he put the club on the map. And he also touched a lot of lives, Chris. This is the most, I'll go on record saying this, this is the most generous man I've ever met in my entire life, you know. He just, he just has a humble heart. He's just, you know, he's, he's really like a father figure, you, you know. He's, he's, um, he's not a football guy, Chris. He's a businessman. So, mm. you know, he, he, he didn't look at it from a football perspective. He's just a competitive businessman. I don't know if you know the story on how he got his company, but he took over his dad, his father, built the company from two buses, handed it down to him and grew it into what it was. So, um, and I know, and I know this for a fact, because I, I spoke with Coco and they really had plans before COVID. They really had some long-term plans. It just so happens that Sarah's being a cash cow in a cash business, COVID mm. really just threw them under, you know? And I just wanted to touch point on that, Chris, because this is my personal experience with the man. And um, yeah, I really feel like he, he had the best intentions and he did all that he could do from his side, from his eyes, from his point of view. And at the end of the day, it is his fucking money. You know, he can do what the hell he wants. <laughs> no, I but think yeah, that's I good. Mean, of course, of course, he could have done an academy. He could have done so much. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, no, I appreciate you coming on. And I think, I think um, you know, when Jing and I did that episode about the, you know, the proposed you know, is this, is this the death of Philippine football? Like, yeah. he didn't want it to come across as being, ba you know, bashing uh, LOI at all because, you know, like you said, he put the, he put the country on the map in so many ways. Um, you know, and, and without, without him, we wouldn't have had, you know, so many amazing players come and play in the Philippines. Yeah. We wouldn't have had, like you said, so many people's lives would have changed just from obviously being able to provide them, the players, their families with an opportunity to, to, to have a yeah. bona fide life here. You know, I know a lot of the Serrets boys obviously were really, really close with them, close yeah. with him. Uh, and like you said, his generous side was always something that they would really, really highlight. And that's, <laughs> you know, that, that's something, you know, like, and something that always stuck with me with him was like, they would say, uh, he would invite players around to, to watch, you know, watch a movie or play video games or, you know, have a little <laughs> drink with him. And, you know, that, that aspect, I think maybe that's something that we underplayed. And, and if it came across that way, then, then, then obviously we apologize for that. But yeah, uh, no obviously apologies. We, we, it's just my yeah. point of view. No, 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 I think it's totally, and it's totally valid. Cause I think it's nice for you to paint like a fuller picture of, yeah. of, of, of he, what he, he was like. He did a lot down there. Yeah. That maybe people yeah. don't really know about, but that's just the guy he is. Yeah, really but, interesting. Um, I, pre I appreciate that insight. Yeah, I, I thought I thought insight. you would like that, and I just felt like it was necessary to kind of speak up. But um, you, you definitely have some valid points there. The the PFF and the and the and the AFC are, should be one hundred percent. That was the point that you made. They should be one hundred percent accountable for how Sarah's 
you know, what happened with Serge. You're absolutely right with that, Chris, and I totally agree with you because imagine that they let him do whatever the hell he wanted to do. So that's what he did. If there's no, you know, structure or, all right, LOI, this is what, you know, this is what needs to happen or at least stick in this kind of boundaries, but it's just free for all. And, it, and unfortunately, things turned out the way it did, but I totally agree with you, Chris, when you said that, that the PFL and the AFC should be held accountable because they all know Philippines is a developing country. They need to be, they need to be hands-on helping us in every mm -hmm. situation possible. How can we get this league better? You know, and they didn't, you know, they did nothing. They just, okay, we'll take your money. You're, you're now AFC National League. Um, what's next? You know, but there should be some type of guideline or instruction or something, something for a developing country in a developing league like Philippine was, but there wasn't, you know, but yeah, you, you, you got to hold those people accountable too, Chris. Got to, man. Yeah, I know. So that's what we talked about, didn't we, on the show? I know. I think, I, know. And I think, yeah, like, like I'm, I'm sure I haven't spoken to him. I'd, I'd love to sit down and have a chat with our way. I'm sure he, and again, not to come back to say, making out that we're bashing, I'm sure if we sat down with him and said, hey, what, what do you reckon you could have done things differently? He'd probably go, yeah, you know, I would have done a lot different. You know what I mean? So it wasn't, hindsight's 2020. Yeah, and I think, um, I, I, I stand by what I said with that, mate. And I think you're right to, to highlight yeah, it. Man. I think, he, 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 again, we come back to the good intentions portion. It's, but he's a businessman. He's not a, he's, you know what I mean? He hasn't had experience of this. He's, he's new at this yeah. and we, everyone needs guidance. And, and unfortunately, totally. that, that's something that's been, totally. that, that was lacking. And, and now we're left with this, with the situation that we find ourselves in, which is yeah. not having enough teams. We, we've left with a, a team, obviously, having to absorb a new a new guys a new, a new identity which is a shame because especially after all the work that you put in yep. for him to to, to, to potentially yeah, not have that shame. anymore it's really really sad yeah, man. yeah you, just have to, you just have to look at uh, the last somebody posted um all the champions of southeast asia in the last 10 years right and you look at all the dynasties that have been erected over the course of, you know, in this region, you know, you have the Buriram Uniteds and mm -hmm. um, in the Philippines, it was Ceres over the last five years. It was Global and Ceres yep. over the last seven. And yeah. you, you really get a sense that, wow, man, he's built something incredible over these last five totally. years, but it's gone. It's just disappeared, yeah. you know? And, and, and just as the rest of the world was taking notice, the rest of this region mm -hmm. was taking notice of Ceres yeah. as an Asian powerhouse, not as a, a Philippine mm -hmm. powerhouse. Um, he's unfortunately had to, to give that up. So um, it is what it is at this point in time. It's what it is. I wouldn't be surprised if things turn around and the cash cow that is Ceres gets back on its feet. Um, I wouldn't be surprised oh, yeah. if Ceres comes back and, and becomes a football club once again. But man, it's it's been a tremendous chat, man. It's been two hours just flying by, um, getting to know you. I mean, I consider you a friend, but I didn't know anything about all that backstory of you going yeah. up in, in the States and all the things that you had to go through in order to make it to our shores here mm -hmm. in the Philippines. And of course the adventure that you had here. So I, I think it's been a real fantastic opportunity to get to know you as a Thank person, you. not just as a, as a footballer. Um, and I to, appreciate that. to get a sense of where you're at right now, you know, in your career. And um, it's, mm interesting that you mentioned that you know like it's the federation's job to try to set the boundaries and set the structure totally uh, they're like the government they're the government i i agree with that but personally 
over the last uh -huh. 10 years, what have yeah. you, like, we've not seen, I don't mean to disrespect anyone, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that they need in order to get the right things in place, but we've not seen the kind of progress, perhaps, that we were hoping to see when we right. were so excited once the boom started in 2010, right? We all feel as if there's something that can still be done, and we see areas of improvement, and I feel like individuals totally. like yourself, individuals like Anton, Chris, um, individuals who have the passion for the game, uh, you guys are going to move the things forward, you know, and uh, hopefully um, us here on Across the Line get an opportunity to share your stories and that will, you know, exponentially grow things as more people get, you know, enlightened about the situation that we're in. So mm -hmm. hopefully this will create a little bit more passion or ripple uh, through the Philippine uh, football community hopefully. and uh, that'll, that'll spark some change. Listen, there's only one way to go, only one direction to go from here, you know. And <laughs> yeah. uh, we're we're all we're all in the same boat. It just which way you which way you're rowing, which way, you you progressing or you degre or de uh, going backwards. Yeah, we're we're all in it. We're all in this boat of Philippine football together. Which way do you want to row? Do you want to be progressive and and make things get things better, or do you want to go the opposite? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you and the time that you spent with us here on the show. Chris, yeah, anything else fine. you'd like to, to, to throw Nate's way? No, thanks for coming on the show, mate. I really appreciate it. It's um, like, like, like Jim was alluding to, it's, it's a story that on the surface we probably think we know, but I, a lot of those things, even being your teammate yeah. for, for a number of years, though, I was really unfamiliar with some of those, those aspects of yeah. your background. Like, and I think yeah. it's a great... Um, a great tale for especially young players coming through, you know, who have the opportunity to, you know, have two hours to listen to this or two hours to read your letter um, to find <laughs> out, you know, what it, what it really takes in order just to have a career in football. You know, we're not talking about maybe, you know, playing at, you know, uh, Barcelona or Real Madrid, but in order just to make it in, in the game or to have some kind of career in football, it, it takes a lot, you know, it takes a lot. Loads of trials, tribulations, you know, um, ups and downs. And, you know, if you're that guy who's currently at school flunking out or having a problem with, with your schoolwork, you know, there's still an opportunity for you. If you're the guy on the totally. precipice of success, you know, then, then you've got to take the opportunity. If you're that guy at the moment who's on top of his game, then you've got to continue to strive to, you know, to want to get better. You know, I think all of those things you've, you've outlined in your story and, um, you know, there's, there's something for everyone to, to take from that. So I appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. And um, it's been a guys. really good listen. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to speak. And um, I really appreciate it. And like I said before, what you guys are doing is, is a really good thing for the, for the landscape and for all of Philippine football. You know, it's, it's good dialogue. I've been listening. It's really good dialogue. And it's, it's just good conversation and ideas and talking is all good. And I think, you know, I'm always optimistic. I think things are going to progress and hopefully get better. And all we can do is try and help. But if we don't talk about these things and really dialogue and digest them, then same things are going to happen over and over again. You know, so really, uh, thank you guys for what you're doing. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to just speak a little bit about myself, a little bit about my experiences, and to just, you know, just to be here. Thank you, guys. Really, thank you. Absolute pleasure, Nate. Uh, look for him on Instagram. Anywhere else that you, they, they can find you? It's just Nate Berkey. Um, are you on Twitter as well? Yes, I started tweeting again. <laughs> it's a funny thing about Twitter. I had Instagram wasn't wasn't on when I got here. Twitter was, and yeah. OJ, being the young guy, what he was, he actually set up my my Twitter account. <laughs> 
which I, I recently started tweeting again, or at least linking it to my other accounts. And um, yeah, it's all Nate Berkey, Twitter, yeah. Instagram. All right, ha- look, look for him on social media. And also make sure that you are tuned into everything that we're doing here on Across the Line. Find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. If you like this episode with Nate Berkey, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And we will catch you on the next Football Friday.